Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. All right, Tuesday, power panels here. Elizabeth and, of course, R.D. and Paul are here, and our special guest is here as well to start us off today. Uh, our Secretary of HUD, Housing Urban Development, is Dr. Ben Carson. And, Dr. Carson, thanks for giving us uh, the time today. My pleasure. Hey, I got I to gotta ask, what brought you here? What are you looking at here in the Little Rock area? Uh, we're looking at some of the uh, developments that are slated for RAD conversion, using the rental assistance demonstration to convert them uh, to much nicer places. Also looking at what the Goodwill has been doing. Uh, in, most people, when they think about the Goodwill, they think about a place where you can get used clothing, but uh, they really have branched out and began to provide wraparound services to help move people out of poverty mm-hmm. and the same and the same thing with our house which is a, a homeless shelter uh, which again provides wraparound services to really promote people and give them what they need to to become independent you know i i was sitting here talking to a member of the power panel earlier uh today and i said you know dr carson reminds me of jack kemp that that's what I'm seeing out of Dr. Carson. Am I right? Is are do you look I, at what what Jack Kemp did and said that's stuff to be emulated? I have been told by many people <laughs> that we we came from the same pod. Um, I very much believe in the kinds of things that he was advocating. Yes. Yeah, he was a great guy, and uh, you know that's where uh, what was it uh, kind of a, a heartful conservative came from. But he just believed that if you gave somebody skin in the game, uh, they would act better. And I remember he was the first one that started selling um, places in Caprini Green in Chicago to the people who lived there. And guess yes. what? Those people took care of those places. You know, it got a little bit better at, during his absolutely, time. Absolutely. And that's one of the things we're working on now is uh, taking a part of the monthly subsidy that people get and putting it into an escrow and that escrow is dedicated to their unit all the routine maintenance for their unit comes out of that escrow so if you always have to replace the screens or the lights it's coming out of that unit you're always calling the plumber it's coming out of that escrow but if you learn to take care of those things your escrow continues to grow and you learn to think more like a homeowner and then if you leave assisted housing in a certain number of years that escrow becomes yours to use for a down payment. Well, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a young guy. You can probably tell that when I started talking about Jack Kemp. But still, uh, you know, he was he was really an intellectual back during the Reagan years and uh, during Bush the Elder's years, uh, and and had a lot of great ideas. I'm glad to hear that you're tapping into some of those. Absolutely, and uh, you know, the real key here is to turn HUD from an organization that proclaims victory based on the number of people we get in a program 
and number of people we get under a roof, rather to an organization that proclaims victory by the number of people we get out of the programs and exit with a positive economic uh, outlook. So you're, you're trying to work yourself out of a job. Uh, that would be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, from the beginning. Okay, so you, you came on with the Trump administration. As, as you took over HUD, what was the number one thing that you ran into that just stunned you? You just went, say what? <laughs> well, actually, uh, there, there were some really good things. Good. Uh, and, that, and that is that a lot of the, the career people who were there really stepped up to the plate to help because, as you may recall, the first five months, I had no assistant secretaries, no deputy secretary. It was like drinking from a fire hydrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and people really were willing to step up and and to help in that situation. So that was a good thing. Well, what should we be uh, watching for? What are some things that are on the the, the horizon that you hope to okay. be able to institute? Well, um, we're looking at doing some uh, rental reform uh, that will actually incentivize people to move up the ladder and incentivize family formation. For instance, uh, instead of evaluating the income every one year and basing the rent on that evaluation, we're going to do it every third year. That way, people aren't saying, I don't want to make more money because I'm going to be, uh, it's going to cost me more. Uh, And also, uh, if they become married or have a partner, uh, that income doesn't cause them to lose their uh, unit. Because uh, we've had a lot of perverse um, incentives in the past, and we want to get rid of those things. We also want to provide much more flexibility to the local landowners, uh, the uh, PHAs, in order uh, to incentivize people to move out. And what incentivizes a person in, in rural Alaska might be be different from what does in uh, the inner city of Miami. Mm-hmm. So we really need to provide the kind of flexibility that allows people to adjust to their local circumstances. So, uh, you know, R.D., you had a question? Hey, we really appreciate that initiative to give people the initiative to achieve. It seems like in the past administrations that people have been incentivized to stay where they're at. As a small business owner of a uh, auto recycling facility, uh, you know, we always try to help people step up and, and get a consistent job, and we offer health care for them. And we're always trying to move people up into a rental. We've moved people up to a rental where they have their own rental place, and we try to, to give them good references so they can get a loan. And we're always trying to – they make people make better employees – if they're determining their own fate and they're trying to move up a ladder it incentivizes them to do more at work and to move up the ladder at work and that's just something that we haven't seen what what some people don't understand is if you're not incentivizing people to work it hurts your small businesses because your your small businesses need these people uh employed and we need them to be working for us if we can't hire people then uh we're out of business so Thank you so much for what you're doing to incentivize people. You know, with the with the health care system, it still very much incentivizes people not to work because of the way that it's set up. But we're glad to hear that progress is being made. And 
their small business people will try to help you assist these people because we need them. We need them. Absolutely. And we appreciate what you're doing. It's a it's a very good point. And you know, in many states a person can actually get more income from entitlements than they can from working a minimum wage job. So they decide it doesn't make any sense for me to work. But what they frequently forget is that when you take that job, you gain skills, relationships, and opportunities, which allow you to climb the ladder much faster. You don't climb it at all if you're sitting there stagnant. Well, th- well, thank you very much. It's good for your mental and physical health. Absolutely. Dr. Dr. Carson, real quickly, one last question. I've got another member of my power panel here, Paul. Hey, Go ahead, Paul. This is Paul Calvert. Um, I'm actually a landlord myself. I'm, 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 not a, I'm not a professional radio guy. I'm kind of a sidekicker on this show. But what I do for a living on a, on a daily basis is I'm, I'm a residential landlord. And one of the things I think that would, that would help – me and also help a lot of um, people that that I would rent from rent to is if if it was legal in other words if government would get out of my way I can build some some affordable housing that would be sort of like along the lines of tiny homes or maybe even uh, um, efficiency apartments that would be very affordable but I need government to get out of my way well you bring up a very excellent point and, uh, you know, we have a innovations department, which we're looking at new and different ways because there are a lot of new technologies that have emerged just in the last few years uh, that can create small, efficient units. I was in uh, Las Vegas last week, and they were taking those large shipping containers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at one of the veterans facilities and converting them to little apartments that were actually pretty nice, and it only cost like $22,000. Um, you know, we do have to start looking at some, some innovative ways of doing things. I agree with you 100%. All right. Well, Dr. Carson, I told them I'd only hold you for 20 minutes. I could hold you for a couple hours, but <laughs> we, we know you don't have that time. Uh, thanks for coming to Little Rock. It's a pleasure to have you here, and thank you for giving the time here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And thanks for your thank work you. on HUD, sir. Yeah. Thank you. It's been great being with you. All right. Have a great Great day. day. Bye-bye now. All right. So Dr. Ben Carson, uh, of course, Secretary of of, uh, HUD, good to have him here in the state checking some things out. And you heard some some pretty good thoughts that they've got going on with HUD now. Mm -hmm. I I just tell you, I was talking to to Elizabeth. He reminds me of Jack Kemp. Um, You guys may not even remember Jack Kemp. We're talking during the Reagan era and, and during the very early part of Bush. Uh, but Jack Kemp had a lot of great ideas about giving people the ability to own things. And when people own things, they take care of things. Well, another thing I, I kind of appreciated him is that you know he's, his goal is to, to make himself less powerful. In other words, to, to reduce the size of his of his agency by, by basically working himself out of a job, which should should be the goal of any kind of welfare program. I was speaking with a a, a rather prominent Democrat a while back, and um, I'm sorry. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I got to do it sometimes, but and so I was making the the point about a particular um, popular welfare program that wouldn't it be awesome if if people got to the point where they didn't need it anymore and nobody used it. And she's like, no. I mean, what, what's wrong with her? 
I mean, what is wrong with people that, that what you just said is what's wrong with her. right but, but, but why, why would anybody not want people to be able to take care of themselves and their families because the point if they, they can't take care of themselves they get the power to take care of those people it, it empowers government when people are helpless. yes it does well, it's nice to hear that we have some directors and some people in yep, Washington that, have, that are trying to give people power. People cannot be physically and mentally healthy when they are dependent on someone else to take care of them and they are not controlling their own fate. You need to be able to have the initiative to get up and go to work every morning to know that you're improving your life and to know that you're taking care of your family there is no way that anybody else can do that for you without lowering your self-esteem and your net worth and the thing is that when we allow free markets to work god created us in a certain way that earth itself will come up and kick us in the face if we get lazy our bodies will make us miserably hungry if we don't work. And and, and life w- will teach us to, to be better if government will get out of the way and allow life to teach us to be better. There's a fellow by the name of Arthur Brooks mm-hmm. with the American Enterprise Institute, and he links the ability to work to happiness. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely, sure. you know, what, what our whole country is based on is individual um, can you imagine how miserable initiative. It, can you imagine how miserable it would be to just have nothing productive to do just every day you wake up like i'm I'm gonna eat and go goof off that's well, terrible there's a whole lot of people out there that talk about all these protests and things that are going on and the reason that that happens is because there are too many people who have nothing to do every day except but go be present eat, at protests eat and goof that's off, why you don't huh? see conservatives out there we're working all right let's get a break a good start to another show here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Stick around with us. Uh, if you're listening on the radio, you want to watch it on uh, Facebook Live, go to facebook.com slash Dave Ellswick Show, and you can watch as everything, all the magic unfolds right before you. Back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Our thanks to Dr. Uh, ben Carson. Believe it or not, he called me and asked to be on the show. That's pretty cool. We we had him during the time that he was running for president. It was cool. I got to speak with him briefly under the portico at the state capitol when they showed up when he was running for president. Mm-hmm. Happened to be standing there when the car pulled up and he walked out. He got out of the car. He's a good man. He's a very nice man. I spoke with him probably for a minute, not very long. He was very kind. So if he's still if he's still listening, some of us might like to eat dinner with him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if you want to know how long he's going to be here, if he wants to call back, <laughs> I think he probably likes to get home and have dinner with his family if he can. Uh, I've got this information that was brought to me about what's going on in uh, the Cabot School District, and they they want a two mil increase in the Cabot School District. I want to just read one line. I, I just I, I didn't even get two paragraphs into this, and I came across a line that some is a, a, a summation of the problem with it. They said that uh, they want to do all these security improvements that have already been approved, though they don't know where they're going to get the money. And we've invested over half a million dollars 
to increase security and safety measures at all schools. These expenditures were not anticipated this year, but we were able to transfer funds and reduce say cut reduce anticipated operation expenditures in this year's budget to make these changes an immediate reality. Then I read this line to to R.D. and said, R.D., here's the bad line. We have much more that needs to be done, he says, and uh, just like everything else, it comes at a cost. It's what it comes at. It comes at a cost. And uh, a two mil increase during the uh, upcoming 2018 election, our last increase 10 years ago, millage will generate an estimated $1.3 million a year and will allow us, Cabot School District, to create, uh, listen to what it says. I'm not saying this. They're saying it. To create multiple new security positions. Now, that means you're going to grow government. That's They're going to open up new jobs. So if, if your selling point on a tax increase is to employ more people, through government jobs, you apparently think the voters are pretty stupid. Because well, maybe they are, but they say they want to fund long-term safety and security projects. Now, when you have a project that you want to start, understand you've got to hire people to carry out your project. So you grow. So you get you're going to pay two mills more, or one point three million dollars a year. For these new projects and uh, these new people, most importantly, it will help us protect what matters most. Your job? No, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know that they're probably saying it has to do with the students, okay? I mean, I understand. They think that the answers to this is, you know, more money. And That's I, always I supposedly don't believe, the answer. I don't believe that the answer is money here. They already said, let me go back and read that to you at the beginning. What did they say? They Half a million dollars to increase security and safety measures at the schools. Those expenditures weren't anticipated this year. So what did they do? Well, we transferred some funds and reduced anticipated operation expenditures. They cut some things. By half a million dollars? Yeah. Wow. And you know, that's probably 2% that's of the budget. Third. That's a that's a third of that's what they're going to bring in. Hmm. I'm just saying, you, if you look at it that way, you yeah. can do it. What can, what concerns me without is raising taxes. A lot of the things they're talking about doing with the money are physical changes, which you know I, I can see a point that you know more alarms on the doors and things of those that are, sort. And those are static costs for the most part, right? Once it's installed, it's installed. But the fact of it is, unless you change the culture, allowing unlimited access to schools, and by that I mean we all know how easy it is to walk into any school building. You can put all the alarms you like. You can have all the guards you want. You can have them carry guns, do all that stuff. But every time a student or anyone else wants to walk out the door and prop the door open with a rock so they can come back in, And there's a rock sitting by the door just for that not, purpose. All wasted money. It's a culture change, not a money right. thing. And, and there, there, are, there are things they can do that don't cost anything at all, such as 
The culture change. There are volunteers. There are there are parents who would likely volunteer to, to come to school and, and actually carry and, and, and protect and to protect Could students. Certainly be. And, you know, you, all you have to do is just just get a few parents doing that. Certainly, and, veterans and let, and let the word get out. And guess what? A school shooter will find a different school. Well, and the other thing is, when are we going to take it seriously that we want to protect our children instead of just throwing money and listening to talking points? Yeah, that, That's what this whole well, bit of business well, of school throw safety somebody, has got throw me irritated. Our money at it. Throw tax dollars yeah, at it. Yeah, the next guy because and, only and, half the taxpayer, you know, half the population pays those taxes. And, and, we, and we feel good about it because we've taken more people's rights away and makes us well, think, it's think easy. we're safer. It's easy. It's just easy. Ask for more it's, money. It's easy, and and it's and it doesn't do any good in many cases. That's what I'm we'll, saying. All that money for naught if you can't change the approach all right when we come back i'll tell you what they really want to do they got a nice little graphic here and i will read what this money will get you and i bet you if we opened up the lines and we got everybody talking they could come up with ways of doing what they have here without probably spending hardly any Thing. So if you're in Cabot, write the school district and give them your ideas. Yeah, that's another good thing. <laughs> or go All to right. the meeting. Got to go to the news. All right, back here on the Dave Ellswick Show again. Let's go back to what uh, uh, Cabot is out uh, presenting to the voters. And this is several pa- – how many pages is this, R.D.? It looks to be about 20 pages, 25 maybe. This is at least – it's at least 20 pages. Yeah, they don't have it. They don't have it all set here. But here, here's what they have. Value, what do you get for value of one mil, basically? First of all, you get to create additional security positions. Secondly, you can buy security vehicles, uniforms, training, and supplies. You can upgrade fire systems lighting cameras with live feeds key fob systems are they going to give every kid a key fob is oh, that that's going to go over is, well is, is that what they're saying you know how many are you going to replace of those every week so, yeah, so, right. so maybe we need to look at some of these these um local industries that are going to be making money off of selling the cars and the, the new wiring systems and who all is going to be supporting this this um millage increase uh, to to soak the taxpayers all right i'm going to keep going because there's a whole lot <laughs> there's more. more okay uh key fob systems improve communications dep- uh, uh equipment renovate school office areas to improve safety and visibility portable metal detectors to be utilized utilized at athletic events dances and various activities Upgrade cameras on all buses, install exterior bus camera, and monitoring of those systems. Hmm. Now, those are things that they they want uh, to do. So, when they're talking about security, they're not talking about, you know, they'll use uh, Parkland as a jumping off place to get you thinking about that kind of security can't let a crisis go to waste as i'm reading several of these things that are in their wish list they have nothing to do with the parkland situation or you know an you know a a shooter an active shooter in the school system has nothing to do with it at all zippo 
Yeah, if you have the armed guards, you definitely need to arm people. Now, I'm not saying that you either don't have the money to hire them. If you look at the priority list, I believe they've had, like we were talking earlier, if security is a priority, you've had the money to take care of your priorities for a long time. So I believe they have the money for the security guards. I believe they just need to be looking uh, elsewhere to to cut maybe 2% of your budget to take care of it. But there needs to be armed uh, teachers. There needs to be armed uh, armed guards. And uh, and the only way to confront a force with someone with a gun is, is someone else with a gun. So, But if it's a priority, then they have the money they, for it sure, now. They, they could easily cut 2%, I think. It is, they, could, they could reduce expenses in landscaping. They could probably reduce some other... Um, things that they're just simply wasting money on right now. The, the fact is that, and there are there are very easy, cheap things they can do for security things. Like for one thing, we have a we already have this in this state a, um, concealed carry permit permitting process. And from from what I gather, statistically speaking, that is a, a very very good um, way to measure someone's qualifications about whether or not they're safe with a firearm. It's it's statistically speaking around the country, those people are are are, are more. Um, uh, um, safe than police officers are from a criminal standpoint. Police officers themselves actually get, have, get charged with gun crimes more frequently than concealed carry permit holders, from what I understand with it, from statistics speaking. So that's an easy place to start. Okay, and here's another thing I think we have to consider here. In RD, you, cr- you, you correct me if I'm wrong. To initially start what they're asking here is going to take maybe the whole $1.3 million. But once you've hired your security positions, once you've bought the vehicles, once you have the supplies and all the rest of the thing, and these uh, lighting and the cameras and all the rest, you not have that. But maybe once to get it all underway, maybe every 10 years, you've got to switch it up to maybe better uh, equipment. So what are you going to do with all the extra money that you're going to have? Are you just going to pile it into a... Uh, a, a sludge fund so that you have it or are they going to say well you know we got this money we can spend it over yeah. here yeah it's it's not unusual for a county's tax or a uh, or a city tax if there's an upfront cost on something to ask for the upfront cost then back up a part of it and and only for operational expenses. So if you were looking at this, if they've already cut a half a million for the budget at most, if you're going to pay for all this up front, it looks like you could ask for the two mils for one year and maybe cut 1.5 mils off to sunset uh, after the police cars are paid for just for maintenance. So uh, it's as you know, it's not going to cost as much the second year as no, it is the third. Or so, the fourth or the fifth. So part of the tax needs to be sunsetted. Exactly. Yes, Elizabeth. I'm reading on the school website, and to answer a question that was given on social media, this election that we're discussing is May 22nd. Okay, it's coming up. They're doing it on the uh, primary, the day. general primary day, so it's coming up. Um, the school says, "Why can't you determine somebody? Why can't you determine the exact staffing cost? We cannot because we cannot predict at this time whether we will be able to attract." certified law enforcement officers, school safety officers, or security guards. The salary and benefits for those three jobs vary significantly. Reviewing the long-term project list, many facility, 
technology and transportation needs are in the future. The estimated long-term costs go well above the $1.3 million that will be generated by the increase. So how are they going to pay know? for it? Well, how do they know, and how will they pay for if it? They don't, if they don't know how much it's going to be initially, how can they sit there with a straight face and look at us and say, but we can tell you it will cost us more in the future? That's what I'm pointing out. It sort of kind of sounds that's, like carefully crafted very, language to that's me. That's very unprofessional. That's very unprofessional. You bring in the experts. You write a plan. You see how many employees you need to hire. You see what equipment that you need. And... You get the tax that you need to get it started, and then you sunset part of the tax uh, to to sustain it after you've paid for it. But to say that we don't have a plan, we don't know how many people that we need. We don't know who we're going to find them or how they're going to be certified. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. That that's that's nuts. So, so well, what, it's what, a what, typical. So, hey, we got a problem. Let's just go ask the taxpayers so, so, for more money. It'll be easy after that. So once maybe we get they money. actually maybe they actually need the money for something else. Maybe they need to dig a little deeper and see what is it that they're that they're wanting to spend money on that's unrelated to security. Because if it's only going to cost a half a million dollars a year for this, but they're wanting a, a million three, then what is it that they're wanting to, to squander some money on on the side that maybe don't really want to talk about? Well, they're saying here the cost of doing these things will exceed what the two mil, what the two mil mm. increase would generate during the first year. But it's difficult to anticipate but, our long-term staffing costs. So, so Any long- funds generated above what it costs to provide staffing will be used to address long-term safety and security, which they just said they don't know about. This sounds like a boondoggle, guys. It sounds like a boondoggle. They go on on the school district website and explain about the countywide sales tax idea that you brought up just now. Yeah, I guess we need both. I guess guess we need both. I guess they'll probably both go on the ballot. But everybody needs to to pitch in. Uh, If the school can cut a million dollars a year from their expenses if the city can pitch in some and the county can pitch in some but how about, how about they just do it this way why don't they just ask they, the, the only way they want them to pitch in is by paying more <laughs> if not well, by about, you know taking some how, that they've already they ask, collected how about they ask the parents of the children who are actually attending the school to chip in a little money voluntarily is that such an unreasonable well, thing t- to do? Well, I well, tell they you what, they're already paying enough. I mean, people people are, are paying enough already. But, hey, if you're asking for something, I want to see a spreadsheet. I want to no, see. No, I'm, I'm talking I, I about the, see. the people who are actually on this welfare program. The parents themselves. Why don't ask what these people to program? public school? They can pitch in. They can pitch in time. They, they can pitch. They can pitch in money for I'm, for all I'm concerned. The, the the fact is that why should I have to help help pay for these extra programs? If the how about the parents who are sending their children actually go ahead and put some skin in the game? All right. So when we come back, school's free. <laughs> I will I will give you the top priorities for this. And uh, it's really a mind-blower, to be honest with you. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. You can watch us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com uh, slash Dave Ellswick Show. Of course, listen to us here at 1011 uh, FM, The Answer, and uh, get the information as we're, as we're doing this. I just hope I got see this all these pages I got here. This is what they're saying that they want to do. Wait till you hear what the top priorities are. It's all coming your way in a moment here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Okay, so as I read 
these uh, top priorities, uh, Elizabeth and R.D. and uh, Paul, you tell me if – stop me if, if you think I've ma- I mentioned something that doesn't come to your mind. Because when I'm hearing these schools now talking about security protocols, I'm thinking active shooters, all right, because they, wanna, they want to talk about Parkland. Parkland was a kid that got into school – with a semi-automatic rifle and shot people. Upgrade security and fire alarm systems. Enhance lighting and cameras at student drop-off pickup areas. Key fob entry uh, system or RFID badges, perhaps. (laughs) Install live Feed monitors in offices to monitor real-time video. Increase high school security guard visibility. Enhance district emergency communications equipment. Well, that should be dealt with in other ways. Maybe you would like to get a 911 system that everybody talks to each other on the same Ooh, system, you dumbasses. I mean, I'm sorry. That, that's just so simple to, to figure out, and they all run the opposite way. Look, R.D.'s been trying to get that taken care of for at least two or three years, and he can't get them all to sit down and uh, talk about it even. It's no. crazy. Now they're going to saddle the school system with that? you got to be kidding me. Yeah. The, yeah the, we know what – Dave knows firsthand about the 911 call center. If there was a catastrophe or anything major like a school shooting happening in Lone Oak County, no one would be able to get a hold of 911 because we have outdated equipment and and not proper staffing. Okay, so uh, enhanced enhanced district emergency communications equipment, which that should have already been done. Uh, camera, Camera and recording upgrades, all facility entrances. Renovation of office areas to improve visibility. Is that for the people protecting themselves or for the shooter? I don't know. (laughs) Upgrade exterior lighting on all campuses. Upgrade fencing around student activity areas. Additional lighting around Panther Stadium and secure fencing. Improve signage and visibility at student crosswalks. They're going to stop. That's just going to make it easier for a mobile shooter if you (laughs) fix the crosswalks up real well. Uh, Install emergency call boxes. Portable metal detectors that can be used at athletic events, dances, and various activities and events. Technology. Utilize new technology to monitor arrival and departure of school. Folks, that goes back right to your key fob. If every kid is going to be given some kind of a key fob or an RFID whenever they're on the campus, it should be registered so that you know that child is there. And you can it, that's what I mean. Look, I've got a fob on my my uh, keychain. Mm-hmm. It lets me into this building. When I pass it over the device, the system. Logs you in. Logs me in that I am here. What time I logged in, what time I log out. Well, the Mm -hmm. badge. Yeah. It it runs off your badge. That's correct. So, okay, some of the other things I got here. Uh, Monitor student electron communications 
while on school network, emails, Google Classroom, social media, etc. So now there's going to be somebody sitting in front of a computer monitoring all of the emails and everything that are <laughs> flooding around the high school i don't it think infers, it'll be it done. infers that doesn't yeah. it so i don't know big, how they'll do it but so, they're saying well that's one of those seventy thousand dollars your jobs are going to bring uh, in i guess uh expand visitor management system what does that mean that's pretty broad um transportation transportation gps student management system for bus safety okay does that mean we're looking at again the kid having rfid or some kind of little tab on him or whatever they're gonna put so RFID. now they'll know where that he's on what bus he's and on when he and gets things. on and off and yeah huh, interesting and how many of those you're going to have to replace every week well, uh, oh, traffic boy. and speed know. management systems to increase increase student safety is that to keep people mm-hmm. from speeding on campus is that what all that means right there uh additional interior and exterior cameras on the bus fleet that's some of the things those are the top priorities Hmm. you know that sounds like quite a nice laundry list of things that need to be done around the school yet they seems seems like it's really like big and long and a lot of it for I, I, well, some of it is important. It's like Don't three things, but things, they but, got things, Elizabeth, that they mention three times, and one in thing takes ways. care of it. Well, that's what I'm saying. It seems like almost like a wish list, like when you used to take the catalogs when you were younger at Christmas yeah. time and, and, and say, you, "I want, I want, I want." And you want, hope I want, you get want, two or three of the things. But yeah, are, well, you, I'm not you, even you, that. But if you were everything on every Thomas, page, all you know? right. If you're sitting over there and you look and you say, "Okay, they want the key fob system. We want to be able to keep track of where the kids when they're on the bus." which bus are they on or whatever, and we want to know who's in the school at any given time, you look at that and you go, well, aren't can't all of those be taken care of by the key fob system? You, you, well, you only name one thing. You don't have to name three or four things that the one thing does. A lot of times I'll criticize things because we take too long to get them done. In this case, I'm going to turn that around on its head. It looks to me like the school posted their information on their website on the 13th of April. And the election's on the 22nd of May. That's amazing. That Under is thir- not enough time. Right around 30 days for, you, for yeah, the people that, to make up their mind? Five weeks or something for people to understand, ask the questions, have it fully discussed, know what their plans are, and make a decision. This is obviously a quick, but it's for the easy mo- it's, answer it's for to the a children. problem. It's, it's for, for the, the children. children. Well, there's no, yeah. children. well, there's no budget. <clears throat> and well, the, the, if you're on the quorum court or if you're a taxpayer or anything, uh, I'd like to see an expert that says that this is the safest way to do it. I'd like yeah. to have an study. example of where they've done it elsewhere yes. and what the cost was elsewhere and how effective it was. And then you'd like to see an initial budget for instigating it and how much is it going to run for upkeep and for maintenance. But RD, we have to understand this could happen tomorrow. <laughs> Doggone we got to get this in place now. Let's go ahead we and need, spend well, the money we, quick. We need to turn the whole school into a, to a, like an armory and go ahead and make the thing with bulletproof walls and windows and doors and go ahead and make the thing like a prison. So, lock everything so, down. Lock the children down. Go ahead and put them in handcuffs while you're at it. <laughs> well, I want everybody what to understand. What do we want? I'm not saying that you might need to do some of this. I'm saying that you don't need to do 
all of this by a long shot. You know, it doesn't refer. Yeah. Fixing the crosswalks has nothing to do with an active shooter unless you're trying to get him safely to the school to do what <laughs> so he's going to do. So nobody run over him on his way. Yeah, I'm well, just saying. You guys uh, yesterday talked about you know how government does things versus how private business, and I'll say the same thing here. Easy enough for the school to just go back to the people and say, we want more money and we're going to do all this stuff. In private business, you would have to do some studies and some analysis and course, some double-checking you, because you've got to make it work. To, yeah, because you're going to talk to the – to the uh, stockholders. That's right. You got to make sure you tell them we're spending this money and it's for going to make you more money. Basically, here's how it's going to make the make it better, and I and just, it's going to and it's going to work. And this is why exactly. it's going to work. And exactly. It, <laughs> I wouldn't exactly. want to say this is going to work. But, but, uh, this seems like a half baked idea, well, really, uh, and uh, an easy way out. By right, the school. And with your with your customers, how much are they willing to pay more for the service and and whatever else? And how would your customers like it if you put metal detectors? In your buildings and made them made them empty their pockets every time that they come into your business, they'd quit coming. Yeah. Well, well I mean, what what, what do we want? But from we government? got laws that say that the kids have to go oh, to the government school, right, right, or right, go to right. their home school or whatever. Yeah. They must go and get some education. Uh, right. well, what do you mean in socialist immersion so they can vote Democrat when they grow up? Well, I tell you what, that's that's another subject for another show. <laughs> social engineering, definitely there's plenty of social engineering going on in the Arkansas Department of Education and the National Department of Education. They're all in on No, Washington's heavily yeah, into that one. Yeah, and all the businesses that want all the data, the data mm. uh, from the children so uh, mm-hmm. because the children, they want the children to be customers. Yeah. But mm. this is not a, a well-thought-out plan. There's no expert ref- referred to that's put this plan together. There's no there's no budget. Uh, there's no – I mean, it's just like, hey, we thought this stuff would be a good idea. We don't know how much it's cost, and we really don't know how many people it's going to take to run it so, in so the future. It, but if we, you give us this money now, <laughs> we'll spend it wisely, well, and when yeah. we need more money, we'll be back. Was it somebody we may not spend that. it. Wisely, but we'll spend it. We'll spend it. <laughs> <laughs> That's no problem. We can spend it. Come back later and say, "Oh, well, it didn't work. We got to try something different. Yeah. We want more money." So, so, was this written maybe maybe by some of the local construction companies, electronic sales um, businesses, and, and maybe a few other car sales businesses where they want to sell police cars and whatever else? Is, are those the people that help that, write no, this I thing? I'm going to tell you what. That would be one of the things to really pay attention to. If they do pay, do this, mm-hmm. is when they start bidding it all out. Who gets it? And see who gets it. Well, and, and I think in some of those. Bidding it out? In some yeah. of these. You would hope they do. You think it in, might in be some like of these, the brother in law thing? Well, some now, of these cases. We've seen that, haven't we, RD? <laughs> all right, we got to take a break. Paul. Go ahead. We, we'll come back next hour. I'll, I'll let you pick up where you were talking there. Right now, though, we got some news for you. Let's get to that. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. We're at Facebook.com slash Dave Ellswick Show. And. Of course, right where you listen to us as well, 1011 FM, The Answer. Here we go. All right, back to Dave Ellswick's show. And uh, we're already having the discussion that we're going to have later in the show. What about Jan Morgan's campaign and the whole thing dealing with the, the, the rifle? Uh, when uh, they said they were having a raffle, but then they thought that, well, we, we'll tell them it's not a raffle. We'll say it's a choosing. That Not my word, their word, all right? 
I'm going to have Robert Steinbach come on. I sent him all of the uh, the legalese that he needed to see and see what he has to say about it. The bottom line is, from what I even ascertain, you can't do that. Hmm. And it just, it's an example of if you've got a grassroots campaign and some of the people that are doing the stuff don't have a lot of background they're going to do stuff that causes problems well i think that's one of the problems with having so many stupid laws is that sometimes you do stuff that's quite innocent and you find yourself on the other side of the law but here's the key if i were going to try to rifle raffle off a rifle i would ask about it before i started doing it I mean, I do that here at work because I know what I know what the lawyers are like. Okay, I've already run into this again today uh, yes. in my office. Yes. I ran into it, and it's like you don't have to do it that way. Well, that's what they said that they how they want to feel, mm. and it's like so restrictive that yeah. you're 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 putting your own eyes out, kind of like you know. Uh-huh. And then they're saying, "Well, drive this car." Oh. I'm, Kind of hard without any well, eyes. <laughs> you know, NRA, raffle, NRA raffles, and they, people raffle off guns all the time. But it but can't be politically can't motivated. Be political. So we, the whole reason between, behind Jen Morgan running for governor is we don't want a professional politician for governor. I mean, it's just like we didn't want a professional politician for president. But that should make everybody then want to vote for her. So That's you know, exactly so no, right. So no she, harm, no so, foul. So, hey, Nate, so, they, so they made a mistake. I do think it's important to point out there have been some instances of political campaigns and guns and giveaways and auctions under certain circumstances, well, I have to assume. Seems like I recall. And that those were okay and this one's not. There must have been something I mean, different. It, don't I recall... I want, I'm wanting to say Curtis Coleman's campaign raffled off an AR-15. <laughs> and he got in trouble. Oh, did he? Okay. <laughs> well, the Republican committees do it all the time. Oh, okay. It, it, may, it may not be for fundraisers. It may be against the law for fundraisers for a politician. Oh, but the, the, camp, the, the, the committee the, themselves. The, the committees, the Republican committees, they do it all the time. Really? We, we had a candidate in Faulkner County that – that sold tickets and had a gun giveaway. I hmm. remember because we helped sell the tickets. Huh. But uh, hey, no, I but, think I remember, remember that too. I mean, what, what, since it, when has the law mattered? To, to, to the, <laughs> depends on it, who it you depends are. On, yeah, RD. you got Nate Bell on there saying, you know, hey, hey, I think that's against the rules. Well, yeah, hey, well, they made a mistake. He's gone. He's gone after republicans about this oh I mean, is that right oh, yeah. yes this is not his first this rodeo this is a thing that he has hmm. yeah so uh so is is he is he going after him for making a mistake or is he just calling it and saying hey everybody makes mistakes they need to say hey you know what i'm sorry and Jim too Morgan many said that today in the paper so well, if no. it's not legal uh, we we'll we didn't know out. about it, and we'll change it. Yeah. Knowing Nate Bell, I'm sure he was very gentle about it, and and, and speaking very kindly and softly. You, you don't and, read social media, do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, Am I, I being you, a little bit sarcastic? Yeah, we could start some social media about some line item vetoes and uh, some people campaigning on state time when it's against the state constitution. Now, so now you're talking. If everybody wants to roll up their sleeves and talk about people going against the law and not paying any attention to the constitution we could open up a lot of cans of worms can can we talk about government-funded lobbyists for a minute i mean yeah really i mean for crying out loud somebody wants to 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 raffle off a a firearm for their campaign and that's illegal apparently but 
it's perfectly okay for government to literally use public funds to lobby the state legislature. Why is that even a thing? Yeah, so what you're saying is the state taxpayer is paying somebody to lobby Against for more them. laws right, to take and more away our taxes rights. And, and, and less rights. But, but, but then, so, then we're then, paying them to be up there right, to do but, it. But then it's illegal for someone to, to, to try to fundraise for a campaign by raffling off a what, rifle. What but I can't cares? figure out is why is it illegal only for political campaigns, but it's okay for charitable organizations. Right, right. Uh, sure. That didn't make Paul, a lot of sense to me. I understand that that's the way you felt and you feel right now. Still However, law. it was made and codified as a law. So if that is the case, if you're a bona fide candidate, you've got you to abide, abide by, by that Absolutely. law. And I understand. You, and you have to know those things. So that you don't get yourself because crossed it, well, up by Because them. every candidate would love to catch their opponent I'm and sure, say, aha, yeah. gotcha. I'm sure, that, I'm sure they would. But you know, I, I argue, I, I maintain that ignorance is an excuse when we have so no, many laws that you can't. With that the you law. can't. Ignorance no, is sir. no defense against breaking the law. But, but, but it's got to be because right. there's too many laws it's to actually be. read. It right. has to be. When you come across a law you didn't know about, I mean, if you're a bona fide citizen of the state of Arkansas, when you come across a law that you never imagined would be in place, all you can say is, you know, I'm Oops. sorry, you know, uh, Did you know I won't do it anymore. Did you 18-5 and said that no one by the name of Paul <laughs> you know, I can was, be on the radio? Yeah, I was reading that last night right after my Bible reading, and... and, and <laughs> I heard no, it. I How would you know, know that you can't it. drive your ATV on the public highway? Yeah. I mean, come on. Wait, what, you mean while smoking dope and, <laughs> and and painting your toenails green? No. no yeah. I'm and drinking saying, beer. Don't forget that part. Just okay. saying, there's a lot of laws that we don't know about, but we're supposed to know about them. When they pass the bottom line, when they pass an extra thousand of them a year, I mean, yeah. I mean, you'd have to, every citizen would have to have a lawyer to help update them every year on the new thousand laws that were. Now updated. I know Elizabeth will know this. I don't know R D because you're under forty, correct? Okay, no, I'm fifty one. No. Are you fifty one? Really, yeah, I'm fifty one. Man, you got Dick Clark disease. <laughs> you look a lot younger than what your age is. Anyway, Thank you. I don't know when it, when, it, when it started, when it ended. But there used to be on, like, the Sunday comics, there was a comic each week, and the name of it, Elizabeth, you're going to remember this, there ought to be a law. Oh, uh, yeah. You're, I remember have that. Have you ever one. seen it? I don't it? think I have. Okay. There ought mm-hmm. to be. You hear people. You don't hear it today as much because we got so many freaking laws. But the bottom line, there you is. hear there ought to be a law against that. You know, too late. I uh, heard somebody say that this week. Your politicians took you at your word. I'm just telling you. I heard politicians say this, or I heard someone say this week. You know, there's a law that says you can can't use over an eight horsepower motor on this lake. But you can use any boat you want on the river, though. So there needs to be a law on the river too. So I'm like, "Hey, guys, wrong concept here. Shh, shh, quiet. I mean, don't give we, them ideas. That's what I tell them all the time." How about taking away the boat motor size on the lake and, and just saying? But it's always about less freedom. Right. It's and, like, well, they they've screwed these people over here. So don't make it fair. We got to screw these other people over here. That's not the way to do it. How about we stop violating the people, the first set of people? And so don't try to make it fair by violating more. I mean, well, then you can hire people to make sure that people are, oh, are, right. are abiding we, by we the can, law. We can so create the, jobs. The more laws you have, you create more jobs and more income, just like our tire bill. <laughs> uh, 
right, hey, Roman wants to join us and talk to us. He's out in Garland County. Hey, how are you, Roman? Haven't heard from you in a while. Oh, you know, just studying the, all the rules, making sure I don't <laughs> make a mistake. Yeah. There you go. Better don't make them a shake. They'll put you My in gate. Do you remember that cartoon? Do you remember the cartoon? There ought to be a law. A law? Which one? Well, no, no, I'm saying there used to be a cartoon that was called There Ought to Be a Law. Do you remember that? Yes, sir. All right. I do. There ought to be a law. And (laughs) and here's why I'm calling. All right. I believe there's a constitutional provision when you're talking about corporate city municipalities setting forth ordinances on the basis of an emergency, the so-called emergency Mm -hmm. clause. Oh, man, we know that one well. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if a certain city municipality, the corporation, passed an ordinance of such and then declared the emergency clause, and the mayor voted along with the directors, uh, yay, should that negate the whole aspect of what the ordinance was, or uh, you know, voted on? Or do we go, oh, they didn't know that particular aspect of statute or code or constitution and do we let them slide what do you guys suggest well what do you think yeah i i don't know exactly uh what to think on that i'd have to have robert steinbach join me and tell me what i should think i think that that would be so helpful for a very certain uh because Uh, you could try suing them Corporation, oh no, we don't want to do that because you've got district courts. Oh, I forgot, they're constitutional. Or are they? <laughs> what are you saying, the city? Do you? What I know about the emergency clause and being on the quorum court, that is the most abused thing in the world. If you read the the state law on state law on the counties, and it's probably similar with the cities, is. To do in an emergency clause, it has to be in to where it's something at the sheriff's department or people's lives will be put in danger or there won't be a police car out patrolling so you can buy a police car. But there is perimeters in the state law on when the county can use an emergency clause and when they can't. So now they do it. Like if they want to pass a tax, they use the emergency clause for anything. If you know, if we, if if you need a new computer or anything, they they use the emergency clause in every meeting. So that's very much abused in to, the to, county. Like to buy toilet and paper. If if you're wanting to kill something in the county, and it so happens that the quorum court member that was for that is gone, and you've got the votes tonight to where you normally don't have the votes to kill it. They'll call emergency emergency clause, clause and (laughs) they will kill that bill when there's no emergency at all. So if you'll read the state law, uh, I'm familiar with it in the counties. There should be the same one where there is a perimeter on when you should use it and when you should not use it. Yeah, I appreciate that. But, you know, there's so much to read. Maybe if I go to the Municipal League's handbook, it will be clearly explained. What do you think? I, I believe help. it will be. I believe it probably will be. They, they might actually explain how, how to, abuse, you, how to yeah. abuse it. If, if you want to hear the government position on it, you might contact the Arkansas Association of, what is it, Count, Arkansas Association of Counties? Is that what it's called? Oh, yeah. 
They're the association that help extend the extraterritorial jurisdiction from five miles down to one. They didn't have the Gahandas to just make the line the line, you know. <laughs> but I appreciate what y'all say. I think we're all on the same tone of this. Sounds like it. <laughs> I'm with you. The Roman. emergency clause is for emergencies you call, only. You call in more often, Roman, all right? We appreciate you, brother. I'm listening occasionally while I'm reading. My ears are still working, except when I forget my hearing protection. <laughs> all right. We'll talk to you later, Roman. Thank you very much. It's the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, uh, The Answer. Uh, to, to say that Roman can get into the weeds is an understatement, but we like the weeds he sometimes. Brings up, he brings we up some that. pretty interesting, you know, questions at time. Uh, we we've known of cases where cities have passed a, a city ordinance that is in direct opposition to a state law, and it ends up in court. Mm-hmm. That's happening. And I don't know if it's been decided yet or not, but it's Fayetteville in the state of Arkansas right now. You know, they said that our law supersedes the state law where the Constitution says, of Arkansas says, no, it doesn't. The state rules. The state law rules. I guess we'll get to see how how the left-wing judges and... I was going to say, this is going to depend on what judge gets that case. That's a a mess here in Arkansas. Yes, you're right. Well, it's a mess everywhere. But but here's the problem, though. If he rules for Fayetteville, he at that point rules against the state constitution... When and does, he's, and, and, well, but I'm just going to say, Paul, he'll end up being overthrown, over, maybe, overruled. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. It may, have to go to the, the, it may have to go all the way up to the Supreme Court, but the, the state, Supreme, the state uh, constitution will always be seen as ruling over We'll see, ex- 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 except that we've got a problem with the fact that all judges are attorneys. And attorneys have a, yeah, have a but great tendency. Not all judges are stupid. That's no, I agree. I agree. Okay. They're, they're not well, all There's stupid, actually but. some good, fair ones out there who actually apply the law without making new law. A lot of times, there's a procedure to follow for something to go to court. Like yeah. it goes through, it goes through this committee, or it goes through the uh, the uh, uh, ethics commission, and it goes through a filter before it goes any higher. And a lot of times, like a law that has to go through a committee to go before the Senate, if it's certain people or if it's a certain group of people, uh, unlike Jen Morgan, it gets lost along the way before it, before it gets anywhere. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how, how, how it works. But as I understood it, the, what they passed there in Fayetteville was, was blatantly in violation of a state law. And what's going to happen with it it'll 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 be interesting to see if the judges actually uphold the law or if they come down and politically create um an exception all right 22 minutes after uh, three o'clock don't forget at three thirty-five, robert steinbach could join us and we're going to talk about this whole raffle thing you know i can tell you this it don't matter if you don't call it a raffle if you call it something else and it quacks like a duck, and it walks like a duck, and it waddles like a duck, and it swims like a duck. They'll say it's a duck. They won't say no. You can't make that. It's a it's a it's a green platypus or something. <laughs> All right, we'll be back with more here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we're back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I see. 
this is the reason I'm having Robert come on. Uh, you know, out. to be honest with you, Elizabeth, because there's going to be people out there. You know, there's still people who believe that the government blew up the World Trade Center. They can prove it. Yes, they, do. they can. <laughs> they can prove it. They, they've, they've, in their minds. In their own minds. <laughs> in their own exactly minds. Right. Legend in their own minds. That, that somebody, that somehow the government that leaks everything can keep that, that big of a deal oh, yeah. secret. Secret, and nobody knows. For that many years just boggles my mind. Just boggles my mind. If I ever do become president, which is never going to happen, so all you liberals, take a breath. Uh, the, the bottom line is that uh, the first thing I want to know, are they really real? Do UFOs really use <laughs> Get this stuff out, put it on my desk. I want it here tomorrow morning. No, you know what they tell me? If we show you this, sir. We have to There's going to be a new ga- grassy knoll. <laughs> we have to kill you. <laughs> You're not going to make it very long. It's going to end like now. <laughs> it's just what it is. Anyway, I just said it's it's crazy how many people make it into something that it is not. Sure. They made it, yeah. you know, I wouldn't put very much past the government, but a lot of times to, to say that we can prove this stuff is I think it's a, 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 that's a bit beyond reality. I know some, yeah, I know some pretty good cons, conspiracy oh, theorists. Yeah. There are some but, hey, people out there that – But uh, if you, the law is the law of what it is, it don't make any difference what somebody else has done or anything else. If that's the law, yeah. it's the law. So they got away if with If somebody it. else got away with that's just like getting pulled over for speeding and saying, why did you stop me? There's somebody the passed thing. me doing faster than Marty, I was doing. I don't know when it became law. <laughs> but you could be seeing it happen before the law was passed that she's fallen afoul of. We'll talk about all that <laughs> when we come back on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, now I know a lot of you have been waiting for this half hour, not to put any pressure on to Robert Steinbach here. <laughs> now remember that Robert is a law professor over at the Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone and do not necessarily reflect those of the School of Law or UALR. With that all said, and giving him adequate cover so he could speak, I welcome Robert to the show. How are you doing today, Robert? I am well, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. I, I gave you homework yesterday. <laughs> after indeed, the, indeed. Af, I'm listening to him. After the 5 o'clock uh, hour on my show, and part of it was there's this, and there was a big story about it today in the dim gas on the backside of the B section, and uh, Jan Morgan and her campaign acknowledged, evidently, that what they had done about uh, raffling off this uh, rifle should not have been done. I asked you yesterday, because I didn't want to talk about this yesterday. I had all the information because I didn't understand all the legalese that was written in all of the stuff that I had. So I gave that over to you, figuring you could read it and make uh, English out of it. So with that said... What have you come to uh, understand about what went down? Well, first of all, don't sell yourself short, and I mean that sincerely, because yesterday on the radio you said, I think that what Jan Morgan's campaign did uh, was a violation, uh, albeit maybe not intentional, likely not intentional, uh, and you're right. Uh, This is a problem when we live in a society with so many laws and so many rules and so many regulations. And a campaign is not allowed to hold a raffle. And 
they don't have to call it a raffle if it's a raffle. Yeah, see, well, if they, it's a raffle. They, see, they changed it around and they called it a, a choosing. choosing. Exactly. And that's the people. The example I like to use for that one is when Conan O'Brien got booted out of uh, The Tonight Show. And they said to him, uh, we're going to put you back on whatever comes after The Tonight Show. And they, and, but they said, but it's going to still be The Tonight Show. And he said, well, I don't know what that means. And they said, no, we're going to call The 1230 Show The Tonight Show. And he said, my contract says I get The Tonight Show. And guess what? The Tonight Show is on at 1130. Mm-hmm. So when people try to play games with names, that's usually when they're in a losing argument. And that was a losing argument, as you describe it. Uh, the Morgan campaign backed away from that now and said, look, uh, it was a mistake. Okay, good. They own up to it. Move on. Whatever, you know. Um, uh, but, it, no, it, you don't, whether you call it a lottery doesn't matter. A lot, we know what a lottery is. It was a lottery. It was not permitted. I mean, the whole, the whole uh, joke of, if it waddles like a duck, if it's yellow exactly. like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. It don't yeah. matter if you call it a, a green platypus, it's still a duck, right? It's a waterfowl. <laughs> exactly. It's a waterfowl, exactly. So, well, it's not a duck, it's a waterfowl. Yeah. It's funny, uh, you, you likely knowingly referenced that because I had recently writ- written an op-ed in the Dem Gaz about what's going on at ASU with their foundation, yep. and they keep saying, oh, the foundation, that's a private entity, even though it's just on public land, even though it doesn't pay any rent, even though its <laughs> administrator is paid with public funds, even though it has public employees working for it, and even though it takes donations given to a public entity and, and the money is funneled into this private fund foundation. And they, then they say, well, we're not subject to the FOIA because we're a private entity. And as you know, I wrote in my op-ed, if it walks like a duck, it's a duck. That's right. <laughs> the courts will certainly look at it that way. <laughs> do you have any? Exactly. Do you have any idea from reading all of the stuff I sent you why this would be so important that they would make it a class D felony? Well, this is one of those things which I touched upon a moment ago, which is the sort of excessive criminalization of behavior. Uh, It becomes dangerous when we start to make more and more laws so that people aren't aware of what laws are even bound by. I suspect that this one is, is a higher degree because it involves campaigns. And campaigns are more regulated than individual behavior and probably should be. But even with that said, and as you know, I support ASA. Um, So I'm not trying to shill for the Morgan campaign here in any way. But it strikes me that they were just trying to do something fun, shall we say, and inventive, and didn't realize there's this law buried out there in some dusty old book that says you're not allowed to do this. So I've got to give them a little bit of grace, frankly, if, if they came around and said, look, we made a mistake. Uh, so that's something to be applauded. And like I said, I'm not shilling for that campaign. Yeah. So, I, so is, is, there, that. is there anything in the statute that, that states that it's somebody knowingly breaks the law in this regard, or is it just... No. Well, no. And that's, uh, I mean, for criminal statutes, you have to have a certain level of intent. But to, you don't generally have to know of the criminal violation because then, of course, ignorance is going to protect a bunch of people. Uh, and so that's generally not the standard. Um, you have to Unless know you're a government official breaking the law. 
Yeah, right. Well, there are a few statutes, right, that, that say that. And that was the claim, I think, that Comey made about the law that did, in fact, apply to Hillary, that, well, she was kind of accidental in her foolishness, and the statute requires something more. Whatever the statute required, she had met it, based on my mm-hmm. observation, not that anybody was asking. Well, they <laughs> were asking me. I <laughs> asked you. Asking me. Right, exactly. You asked me. Um, but uh, nobody in the U.S. Justice Department was calling me. My phone wasn't ringing off the hook that day. Um, and you see how well it worked out for me, incidentally. Uh, but, no, that's, that's a good question, Paul, but that's not uh, generally the, the level of intent required for criminal statutes. Okay, so a final question. This doesn't ref- reference just firearms. This is anything that's raffled, correct? That's right. That's right. It's got nothing to do with the firearm. The fact that oh, okay. they were raffling off a firearm was simply that was, you know, that's her shtick, right? That's her pitch on running is her kind of very pro-gun stance. And just to be clear, I'm, I'm pro-Second Amendment as well, as I think everybody, uh, you know, on the phone call on the radio right now is. Um, but uh, so I think her shtick was let's do a raffle and build in a firearm to demonstrate how pro-Second Amendment she is. But no, it's not related to the, to the firearm. It's related to the raffle and the intersection with a campaign, with a political campaign. Okay, so bottom line, just so everybody will be clear, because yes. she is a candidate and she is right. running a campaign to be the Republican nominee for governor, uh, yes. then she is not allowed to to hold or anybody in her campaign, through her campaign, whatever, is able to uh, have a raffle to raise funds for the campaign. That is illegal. Yeah, that's prohibited by the statute. So exactly right. uh, We've been talking about this, um, I guess, a little off the air. Is it okay for other organizations, so long as they're not campaigns, can political organizations? No. They cannot do it either. Mr. Steinbach would know, but I believe the answer is no. Yeah, they've got the nonprofits, I believe, that can do this in the statute. Am I I right on that, Robert? Well, you're right. The the statute delineates it, and frankly, I I don't have it open in front of me, so I don't remember what what other entities are and are not covered. I distinctly and specifically remember that campaigns cannot. Cannot. Uh, But. But uh, uh, other entities, uh, you know, Dave will have to give me more homework on that one <laughs> for me to give you a definitive answer. But that's, you know, that, that's, the, that's the point here, is that these statutes become complicated. And, and I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad idea, this specific law or not. I'm not. I haven't thought much about this specific law as to whether or not I would want to have it removed. But I just, we always talk about on the air, we need to be cautious that government just doesn't keep writing laws to regulate yep. our behavior for the sake of regulating our behavior. Like they need to justify their paychecks as low as those well, paychecks it, may be. And it comes down to the point where there's so many laws in the books that any of us could be arrested at basically at almost any right. time be- because right. all of us are breaking serious laws in many cases and we're probably committing felonies and we don't even know it. So, well, so- a, a friend of mine told me that uh, he, he used to be a, a, a police officer, but kind of a beat cop. And he said, I could pull over virtually any car and write three tickets automatically. I don't care if it's a brand new car. That, mm-hmm. There's something wrong with that, right? If, if, right? if you can go in as a law-abiding citizen and, and plunk down the cash for a brand new car, and you expect everything to be up to uh, snuff, and then there's at least three violations on it, that's a problem. That's a problem with the lawmaking, I believe. 
a lot of times a law is made over one instance or one thing that happened. So you can have one accident or one citizen affected by one thing, and a law passed that affects every citizen in the state, you know, over just one mishap. And sometimes the the uh, unintended about- consequences of the law are a whole lot worse than what happened to the one guy. That's, that is an extremely insightful comment. I mean that sincerely because this is what we see all the time when we see, amongst other things, the knee-jerk reactions to these horrific, horrific shootings. Oh, well, do this or do that. Well, would that that have solved that horrific shooting? No. And what are the under, unintended consequences of that? proposed policy well we don't know but we got to do something well and, and the, uh, you know okay. it, and it may some of these some of these things might actually reduce those types of shootings but what does it do in other areas How, does it make mm-hmm. us vulnerable for instance okay mm-hmm. so we disarm the population and so we don't have any mass shootings by individuals anymore but at some point look what happened in nazi germany they disarmed the people mm-hmm. there from what i understand and their government killed them tons well, and tons of them millions and millions of them and so, so we disarm the population, and it leaves the population incredibly vulnerable in other areas. Uh, the, the, the whole argument when it comes to gun control is that the left is unwilling to concede that having guns in the hands of some law-abiding citizens is a good thing. And that's why they say, uh, when, you know, conservatives say, but only the law-abiding citizens are going to to turn in their guns if they're banned, and then who has the guns? The criminals, because they don't turn in their guns. Mm-hmm. And, and the liberals say, well, but you don't say that about murder. Of course, you prohibit murder, and that doesn't mean that there's no murder. It just means, hopefully, you've reduced the amount of murder. But the answer is, because there's no level of good murder. There's <laughs> a good level of, of good citizens having guns, because that rebuffs bad people having guns. And that's what the left is unwilling to recognize. And that's why guns is a perfect example to talk about these unintended consequences, because there's a lot of moving parts in the analysis. Guns in the hands of right of the right people uh, provide safety. And the left sort of begrudgingly admits that about the police having guns, <laughs> albeit it didn't happen in Parkland because they stayed outside. Well, let me be clear. Let me be clear. The initial folks did. I know that that other sheriff's department is deserving of great kudos, and I don't want to blend those two. My sister lives down there. She knows both of them. She's well aware of the, of the distinctions, and that one department let kids die, and the other department saved kids. And so uh, let's let's be clear about what's going on. But yes, I want cops to have guns, and I want other people to have guns. And I've I've said on Dave's show many times, I will concede the fact that uh, as more people get guns, there will be at some point some accident, and someone will get injured. But you've got to measure overall the benefits and uh, and the costs. Uh, But yes. Guns are dangerous. There's no question that guns are dangerous. That's why we have them to protect us from other dangerous people. Uh, So it's a complicated analysis, and we've got to be very careful with guns and with anything else when we're imposing new restrictions on our law-abiding citizens, because we will wind up, may wind up, in a more dangerous a more perilous situation as a consequence. All right. Robert Steinbach, thank you very much. I do, I'm thank not going to hold you for any more length of time. I just wanted your analysis of this because you know that I want the specific 
news story to be explained and why it was against the law. And you've explained it to us, and we will now move on. And I appreciate you being on. God bless, my friend. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye now. All right, Robert Steinbach. Of course, his opinions are his opinions alone, not necessarily the Bowen School of Law or UALR. I, I give UALR and Bowen School of Law the ability to cover up their ineptness uh, by, by saying that. <laughs> you, you don't want to improve the, 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 the perceived competency of UALR yeah, there you go. By, by saying that um, – Is it still legal to think for your, and speak for yourself? Not when you're, <laughs> when you're a law professor. I'm just telling you. All right, got to get a break in. Let's do that. Uh, we'll find out. We'll make some money here, and then we'll come back, finish up this hour. Next hour, uh, Phil Kirpin's going to join us. And uh, he's got some things he'd like to talk about about NAFTA that you need to hear about and the RAINS Act, which we've talked about here on the Dave Ellswick show before, and how it will intersect with NAFTA and could give President Trump a huge victory. That's all coming up next here on uh, The Answer. All right, back with your final uh, about six minutes here. On this hour, next hour, make sure you're with us uh, to talk when we talk to Phil Kirpin. Uh, in politics and public policy, sometimes a modest victory becomes a massive missed opportunity. Now, President Trump is at risk of suffering just that kind of setback with the impending completion of negotiations on the new NAFTA. If he fails to heed the brilliant strategic advice of Senators Cruz, Gardner, and Danes. To date, NAFTA talks have revolved around important but obscure issues like investor state dispute settlement, local content, and a potential sunset or review clause, hardly the typically visionary stuff of uh, our chief executive, President Trump. The three senators have suggested a much bigger idea in to be honest, Elizabeth and I, when we read this, get kind of excited about it. Shows you how big geeks we are. <laughs> uh, a competitiveness chapter designed to codify and make permanent key Trump achievements on permit streamlining, regulatory reform, and workforce development that once made part of a trade agreement could be submitted for an automatic up or down senate vote under fast track trade promotion authority without the possibility of a democratic filibuster the strategy is backed by dozens of conservative leaders so it wouldn't need that obligatory 61 it could be 55 smart move so we want to talk about this and let phil explain to us how it all plays out with NAFTA, because NAFTA is just a whirling mess of small pieces <laughs> that all make one big thing. That's basically kind of riddled with crony capitalism, perhaps. I don't know if it, that's the case. I just know this. It's like anything else. Uh, as we always like, the devil is in the details. Why, why can't – yeah, and so, so the better approach, I think, is to make things in a more principled manner. And if you write laws with principle, a lot of times they can be very, very short because you don't have to and then that's make what this is saying. lots of um, loopholes for – So you can get it through the this, this system a lot quicker. 
then it, that makes an awful lot of sense to not yeah. to, to not have to, to fool with so many different. We'll ask we'll ask you know uh, Phil uh, how the Reigns Act plays into this, and because all of this is going to be very pro growth stuff that'll help the economy expand rapidly. Now, the only thing bad about sometimes when you talk about expanding our uh, economy really rapidly is that then you got to get into the whole discussion about you know inflation and things of that nature and because we do have this thing called the our our big national bank sitting out there uh they end up having a whole lot more power than they were supposed to have in the beginning they, yeah. I mean, they got a ton of power they, yeah, they've got all the power we have a private bank it's not a national bank it's a <laughs> private bank that loans us our money that never existed in the first so place. So we're paying interest. American taxpayers are paying interest to a private bank. So here's what I think you'll be really excited about. The RAINS Act would require all future costly regulation, and I forget what it is. There is a dollar amount that's affixed to this. If it's over this amount, then uh, uh, it has to be submitted to Congress for approval before those regulations can take effect hmm. so this. we're going to hear about all this this is uh, this runs right up donald trump's alley i just like to know why they haven't been dealing it uh, about it from the very beginning so we'll find out phil kirpin to join us he's he knows all about this stuff he's been on the show before and we're talking about the range act to be honest with you well i tell you what nafta is not all good for the american taxpayer and the american workers nafta a lot of times favors out of country businesses and uh, they do not have to abide by the same regulations and have the same insurance that that americans do so hopefully they can trade they can change it around to benefit the people that live here instead of the people that don't live i mean here. Think, think about that the range act was made into law and again, if it's over a certain amount of money, it's got to go before, uh, you know, the Senate. It's got to go before Congress. It's got to go through both houses. And the president has making this into law has made it into law. What that does is all of those regulations that Obama signed, if they reach that point monetarily they have to be voted on by the congress mm-hmm. so they feel like they can stop them they can back in the right that's that's exactly step, right. step in the right direction anyway. the, hey how uh, about obamacare no yeah maybe <laughs> don't hold your breath all right we'll <laughs> yeah. be back with more here on the dave ellswick show <laughs> all right we move into uh the four o'clock hour it's been a good show today had a lot of things uh that we've talked about we got this whole thing about the the raffle taken care of and uh you know the morgan campaign was at fault looks like people said no no harm no foul kind of thing and moving on with it but you know i just thought it was important that we got uh, all the facts out about that so everybody knew that you know somebody was just trying to play a dirty trick or something on the morgan campaign so that's why i asked uh you know, uh, Robert to join us, uh, being a legal professor and whatnot, he could explain it and give it to us in uh, small bites, so and to speak. Her <laughs> statement says it will be dealt with in a frank and transparent manner. Okay. So, in other words, 
if you were hoping to win the rifle, you ain't going to win the rifle because they can't give it away. I Tough. thought it was a pistol. <laughs> was it a pistol? <laughs> Whatever it was. So, it, was so a, if you, it was a Kimber. So that was a pistol. So yeah. Semi-automatic. Yeah, yeah pistols. A Kimber, I think, is usually a 1911, isn't it? Is uh, it like the ones that? I'm familiar no. with. I do know this. Nice. That is what uh, Ted Nugent carries. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. And a I know nice Phil, pistol. I know Phil Kirpin, who is the president of American Commitment, wanted to know that for a fact. Did you not, Phil? <laughs> Wait, I got to confess, I didn't even hear you just said. Ah, you weren't paying attention. You, <laughs> missed, you missed a good point there. We were talking about they're giving the Kimber away well, I here. I completely agree with whatever I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> if, if you said it, it's got to be right. All right, so we, <laughs> bottom line, that's what Ted... That's what Ted Nugent carries. And I asked him what his load was. He said 186, uh, 186 grains. Grain. And uh, I made the statement to him. I said, well, then you don't believe in, you know, a, a nice, you know, two to the chest, one to the head. He says, no, one, and they're freaking dead. That's what he said to me. <laughs> that's why they carry a forty-five. Yeah. Yeah, that's how the Nugent operates. All right. Good. Let's talk about this now, Phil. Um, let's start off by having you explain to everybody what the RAINS Act is, and then we'll move from there to what's being discussed at NAFCA, NAFTA right now and how the RAINS Act can help it, you know, really have some teeth to it. Go. I will do all of that, but first I have to warn you that I'm in the backyard with my four kids who are eating pizza and yelling, so I'm trying to keep them quiet. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Now I made the mistake of saying that, which made it worse. Okay. So the RAINS Act <laughs> is the regulation from the executive in need of scrutiny act. And this is a bill, it's one of the simplest ideas in the world, which is why it didn't come from Washington. It came from a Tea Party activist at a town hall meeting uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, and the guy had a... Um, the guy had a uh, water bill that had tripled because of an EPA stormwater management consensus. And he went to a town hall meeting with his congressman. He brought his U.S. Constitution and his water bill, and he said, Congressman, my Constitution says Article 1, Section 1, all legislative power is vested in the Congress. So how is it the EPA can triple my water bill without you voting on it? Mm. And his congressman didn't have a real good answer to that. He kind of said, you know what, you're right. And uh, then he went back and developed this idea into the legislation that became the RAINS Act, which basically says for any economically significant regulatory action by the EPA or the IRS or HHS or FDA or whoever, they can't impose it unless they send it to Congress first for an approval. Right? In other words, they, they are legislators who do the actual legislating for the major economic policies uh, of the country. And uh, this bill has passed the House four times. It's never passed the Senate. It's a committee in the Senate, but it's always been blocked by a Democratic filibuster. But it really would be the single most significant process fix to this uh, problem of Congress writing these broad, vague laws and then leaving all the real decision-making up to the bureaucrats and the regulators and uh, claiming credit for all their good intentions and disclaiming blame when all the specifics are written. And so this has been a major long-term priority that we've been trying to get accomplished. But we've always been blocked by the Democratic filibuster, which is where we get to this rather brilliant strategy that Ted Cruz has come up with, uh, where he kind of said, well, let's see, what legislation can't be filibustered? And, you know, there are two kinds. One is a budget reconciliation bill. That's how they did the tax cuts last year. But that only works for... Uh, for budget bills, uh, taxes, revenue, that kind of stuff. It wouldn't work for regulatory reform. The other kind of bill that can't be filibustered is a trade agreement because there's something called fast-track trade promotion authority, mm -hmm. 
which guarantees a straight up or down vote on trade agreements. And so what Senator Cruz has suggested is, look, let's take everything we want to do on regulatory reform, permitting reform, uh, infrastructure, uh, workforce development, most significantly for me, including the RAINS Act. Let's put a new chapter in the new NAFTA that he calls the competitiveness chapter. We'll put it in there. It'll accomplish the goals of our NAFTA renegotiations because we'll be a much better place to invest and to extract resources and to manufacture. Uh, if we have a stable, deregulated environment, uh, we'll do much better in trade. But also doing it through NAFTA has this huge advantage. It can't be filibustered. It'll be a way to actually get it passed this year. Yeah, this this ends up saving a lot of people a lot of money is what you're saying. Oh, yeah, fortune, because, you know, you'd still get some dumb regulations, but you'd get so many fewer, and you'd only get the ones that could actually muster a majority in the House and Senate. And, you know, the, uh, you know Congress is, like, obviously incompetent. They pass almost nothing ever. <laughs> and, you know, that's a bad thing if the bureaucrats and the regulators are running wild the way they did in the Obama years and Congress sort of powerless to stop them. But Congress being unable to agree on anything is a good thing if they can't regulate without an approval vote in Congress. So changing that default means that, uh, you know, the dysfunction in Congress, the inability to agree on stuff, would become a positive. Because it would mean uh, that, you know, for the most part, the economy would be unmolested by regulators. So can can we make it retroactive? (laughs) Uh, Good question. Actually, the last version that passed the House uh, last year... Uh, Steve King offered an amendment on the House floor that did make it retroactive. He made every regulation ever passed subject to an up or down vote over nice. the years. Uh, and so the answer is maybe. Uh, Senate, your question, of course, is can you get 50 votes if you had a provision like that with Susan Collins and some of the others? But in theory, you could. And in fact, the version that passed the House last year did do that. All right. So explain now to all of us with the Reigns bill that the president should use this in uh, essence, with his negotiations going on with NAFTA? Well, the, uh, Ted Cruz has got a draft chapter that he wants to add to the NAFTA agreement. He calls it his competitiveness chapter. And what it does is it kind of makes permanent all of the permitting and regulatory reforms that the Trump administration has already done. Because if uh, we don't somehow make them permanent, the next Democrat will come in, put back all the Obama regulations, and more and worse. And so, uh, the competitiveness chapter, which includes reins, among other things, would be offered as a new chapter added to the agreement if the White House adopted the two strategies. And uh, we would ask Mexico and Canada, do you want to do the same thing in your country or not? Um, if they said no, they don't want to do the same thing, that's okay. They could note their exception in a party-specific annex, and we could still include it in our interest, uh, and it would still be a way to get around the filibuster. And so that's kind of the uh, tactic that Cruz has suggested. His office actually just put out a uh, three-minute video that walks through it very clearly. It's on, uh, I, I saw it on Senator Ted Cruz's Twitter. I don't know where else it is. But uh, if, if you, if you if, let me put it in, Dave, if my explanation didn't make sense to you, Senator Cruz is probably well, because he's a little better at this than I am. Yeah, the bottom line is what you're saying is that this will make businesses want to invest more in our country because things become much more smooth? Much, is is yeah, that much much more smooth and much more predictable because if you're a business deciding, do I want to locate in the U.S., do I want to locate in Mexico, do I want to locate in China or whatever, if you know that, you know, even if a Democrat's elected president, that doesn't mean all the crazy Obama regulations are coming back the next day because every single one would have to individually be sent up to Congress, you're much more likely to choose the United States. 
And so it makes it much more competitive as a destination for investment and therefore, you know, much more effective, uh, you know, much better chance of winning. Well, as as a friend of mine, Christian Olson, says in the past is that sometimes bad regulations aren't as bad as, as regulations that are changing all the time because at least we can adapt to the bad regulations and, and, exactly. and work. So if you fix the process, if you fix the process, even you might get some bad ones sometimes. We know Congress is more capable of voting for dumb things, but the volume of major regulations is just going to drop dramatically as a consequence of fixing this process. And that is a very positive for business and for investment and for competing and trade, which is why it accomplishes the goal of the NAFTA renegotiation. It's very appropriate to use this as a vehicle for it. Well, the thing that I like about all of this is it goes back to where it should have been uh, before because the person who asked his congressman, how can the EPA raise my rates when uh, you all aren't even voting on this stuff? And that's the way that this uh, government was set up is that I have representation to my elected official is such an important thing for everybody to understand. This is why the... uh, you know, the congressmen and the senators did it the way they did by making the EPA and the Department of, of uh, you know, Education and all the rest. They could say, well, they're the ones who did it. It wasn't me. Now they exactly. got they to it. vote. They love it. They love these broad, vague laws. They say, oh, no, look at all the wonderful things we did. Then when all the specifics are written, they say, oh, no, that wasn't me. <laughs> that's right. Now, now they got to put some skin into it, and they can be held accountable, and that's important. Yeah, and Dave, I think um, if you know that all the regulations are coming back and you're going to have to vote on them, I think you're going to write much better laws on the front end. You can't just write mm-hmm. these broad, big laws and tell someone else to sort it out. So I think um, this will also get us much better laws on the front end as well as the and accountability on the regulations. Okay, so if folks want to get more information about this, Phil, where could they go to uh, check out your guys' website and read up on it? Uh, our site is AmericanCommitment.org. And uh, also, as I mentioned, there's a video Ted Cruz just put out today. I think it's three minutes long. You can find that on the Twitter. I recommend that. All right. I appreciate you, Phil, for coming on spending some time uh, keeping uh, us up to date on this because we've talked about this RAINS Act quite often over the last yeah, we've year. We've always been blocked by that filibuster, so this might be the way to get it done. Okay. We appreciate you, Phil. Thanks so much. All right. Bye. All right. Go and uh, enjoy some time with your kids. Uh, Phil Kirpin, he's the president of American Commitment. Again, to find out more about this, and I highly recommend that you do because it's really important. It, it, it will help, as far as I'm concerned, put senators and congressmen back uh, standing there pushing the button yay or nay uh, on on these issues instead of the EPA just uh, or the the, con- the Congress saying, well, the EPA says this, and I can't change anything. The bureaucracies end up being like oligarchies. Yeah, the and, yeah the bureaucrats, and, and they mm-hmm. just end up being our masters on some level. And what do we do about it? You know, that comes up in the issue with with the electric company in Arkansas wanting to do the windmills. So when you look mm-hmm. a little bit deeper deeper into it, why are they wanting to spend millions of dollars on windmills? Well, as an article that Elizabeth sent me, when you read a little bit deeper, the the CEOs gets carbon credits, millions of dollars for carbon credits for all the energy they saved. So if they spend, I don't know, $10 million on windmills, 
They raise our electric rates to pay for the $10 million yeah, of, right. of, of windmills. We pay for the windmills. Then they get the millions of dollars of tax credit. So the EPA has incentivized something that is not profitable, and it always comes back to the taxpayer and the it's customer. It's always it, on the backs of the taxpayers. Yeah, and if it goes bust, although it's happening in Oklahoma, Arkansas is stuck with a good portion of the tab. Yep. Yeah, we'll end up paying for it one windmill. way or another. Yeah. Yeah, the, so what you have, you have the federal government incentivizing a private business to raise the rates on their customers so the Arkansas can have, and Oklahoma can have less of a carbon footprint. So you've got the federal government bribing a private business to raise the rates to their private customers so the owner of the private business can get millions of dollars of taxpayers' money. So you should be writing letters or making phone calls uh, to the governor's office saying no on this SWEPCO thing dealing with uh, the, the windmills. And the Public Service Commission, they're the ones who are making the decisions. Yeah, probably more so than them. So, the, the governor... Yes. So you've You're got another commission. Right, everybody. So, so, bureauc- oh, no. so, bureaucracy, so bureaucracies in Washington are dictating policy that bureaucracies in Arkansas are going to make decisions on. And so we're going to bypass the legislatures of both the <laughs> U.S. Congress and the state of Arkansas. Is that what we're talking about here? Sort of. So sort we, of. Have, <laughs> we have a non-government agency. Or, or we have a government agency. A non-accountable government yeah, agency. Yeah, we have government all? We have a government agency that has no legal power incentivizing a private owner, and it's got to be approved by another government agency. And yet, if we disobey, then we go to jail. So, Elizabeth, let's try to get somebody on with us next Tuesday to talk more about this. About Swepco and the windmill? Oh, yeah, See if we can get more of that. We'll find out more. Because we're way ahead of this. There's nobody else. There's no TV station. There's no other radio stations that are talking about this, and they need to be talking about this like and, now. And you're right that it is partly EPA, but it's also a sweetheart agreement, American Energy Power, with their shareholders with their, and, their and their CEO. only and the only uh, trustee of the hundred plus million shares that they own. So it's an insider deal. Think about one kind of like a sweetheart lawsuit. One guy with all those shares. His name wow, is DiNapoli. Yeah. Hey, now New York. He'll have more money than Al Gore. Do I understand <laughs> this re- correctly? This law that you were talking about, if it was going, if the EPA was going to incentivize these certain benchmarks that that these companies hit, before they get bonuses, they much have. like race to the top. If it affected. Their customers by a certain way, and mm-hmm. it was caused by an agency of the federal government mm-hmm. that it would have to go for, to, through Congress to that's get correct. approved. That's correct. So that's the reason I brought this up. So okay, uh, that's I'm gonna... what's so important about this. Again, the the elected represent uh, representatives have been able to say they bypassed themselves on purpose right. to make the you know the EPA these large uh, groups of uh, bureaucrats to run any everything that. They come to them and say, well, we're going to do this. Okay, that's fine. We didn't get to vote for the EPA. No. We didn't get to vote for them. It's just like the ADEQ in Arkansas. The key. You got a bureaucrat. I ask, I ask the bureaucrats, tell the legislatures in Arkansas, hey, we need to do this thing. 
hey, it's going to put a lot of businesses out of business. So I call all my representatives, don't vote for bigger government and putting small businesses out of business. Then they vote for it. Then I say, they said, well, the ADEQ, you know, they're a lot smarter than Mr. Businessman back home. They say this needs to be done. So you have another government agency that we cannot elect. And, and, telling our elected you know, officials, you know, if an electric, if, but I if, can vote them out. If, if a lawmaker doesn't think he's smart enough to make rules about a particular I- issue, then he probably shouldn't be voting for someone else to make rules because he's probably not qualified to actually identify the experts. And so th- th- the problem is we've got people that they're not experts about anything that they're voting on in many cases, and they're going to vote to make other people oh. who think. There seem to be seem to somebody thinks they're experts to to make rules for us and they're not elected officials. I'm sorry, they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't be able to be able to identify an expert if one walked in the room. But at least, like you said in Arkansas, in the case that I'm talking about, it did go before elected official. And if he sided with the bureaucrats instead of the people that voted for him, we can vote him out. What's happened in Washington with the deal that we're talking about, there's people making a decision that we don't get to vote for, like this commission that they're talking about. The commission can approve it, and the commission can raise our electrical rates because it got approved. We can't vote out a commission. (laughs) All right. We're going to take a break. Well, that's just like we don't vote for the EPA, you know. They should be making decisions. But they make huge, huge impacts on uh, how much you're being charged when you turn on the lights. All right, we got more coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, we appreciate Phil Kirpin giving us the time that he was. As you heard, he was at home, evidently had all four kids in the backyard while he was doing this thing. But uh, I understood what he was trying to say, so it was a success. More coming your way in just a moment. All right. We've got news coming up here in just about 35 seconds. Uh, Coming up after the news and after our commercial break, uh, Ryan Norris will join us from Americans for Prosperity. He just wrote an article uh, dealing with this. What's the official term for this, uh, Elizabeth? We've been talking about it, but I forget what the, the official term is about these windmills over in Oklahoma. Yeah, turn your wind catcher project. You All right, what is it now? Wind, wind sweat catcher. co and the wind catcher project. Because when we start, guys, all right, let's continue here on the Dave Ellswick show. Man, I gotta tell you, I'm gonna open up a school <laughs> that I take all of you to to class and 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 kind of. I don't know, somehow teach you the language of the 60s, <laughs> you know, in the, in the early 70s. Because I'm telling you what, with some of the folks now and some of the troubles that you're getting in, you, you got to understand kind of what the 60s and 70s were all about that caused some of the things that happened. It's Remember always really helpful be. to look at history in light of, you know, the current t- the yeah, well, times said. That, that history you gotta was happening. you got to see the culture that were happening yeah. at the time. Yeah. I just think it's wrong to find people guilty of something through the mores of today when you should be looking at the mores of that time to see what was going on because it wasn't a time of innocence i'm just telling you that's my big thing 
mm-hmm. about it. But there's always the element of deceit. Yeah, and there were some people that deceived people. I agree with you on that. You know, that white powder, it ain't powdered sugar. <laughs> okay. There you go again with now the drug get, references. Now you're getting the sweet uh, dreams tonight. That's Just because we were talking about quaaludes and Bill Cosby. Yeah, now you got to talk about white about. powder. Yeah, I mean, well, really. I'm sure that was there, too. I'm just telling you. <laughs> All right. Ryan Norris from uh, AFP, Americans for Prosperity, is going to join us here. And we were talking about this. Uh, what is, what's the wind? It's wind swept coast wind catcher. Wind catcher, because I want to say wind talker, and that was the guys that were able to break the Nazi <laughs> That's the code. Indian folks. Yeah, that was the Indian but The guys. American Indians. Don't let me yes. offend somebody. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lord knows I never <laughs> offend anybody on my show. So let's get Ryan in here. And you guys, you with some other people, uh, wrote an op-ed that was published today. Is that right, sir? That is correct. In National Review, uh, I and uh, my two state director counterparts, John Tidwell in Oklahoma, and then John Kay in Louisiana collaborated on an op-ed that we submitted to kind of raise the awareness on this, on Windcatcher and kind of how it's all coming about now, and why it's coming about. I just had – do you know Phil Kirpin? I uh, do not. Okay. Phil is the president of American Commitment, and uh, you can look him up at AmericanCommitment.org. But he was talking about the NAFTA – decision that uh, is going on now with president and how the rains act uh can help uh the president well we also came up with talking about the rains act and how that can slow down things like this as well when you at, suddenly uh your elected officials have to vote on things so uh, mm-hmm. because it's not just the epa making the decisions or the FCC or, you know, whomever, you know, HHS or whatever. So my question to you was, they're keeping this really close to their vests. They're not explaining uh, to other of us, like here in Arkansas and in Louisiana, that if this thing goes wrong, it goes rotten, it goes, you know, belly up, so to speak, that Arkansas and Louisiana are standing to, to... lose a lot of money yeah uh in the end the whole the entire project rests on some assumptions that um and timelines that seem to be pretty uh pretty almost fanciful in a way and the whole idea behind this is that if these timelines are met these criteria are met then they will receive hundreds of millions of dollars in subsidies to uh, to actually build these windmills in the panhandle of Oklahoma. So without those subsidies, that we, we even quote uh, Warren Buffett in our piece, Warren Buffett said that, you know, it doesn't make sense to do wind without the subsidies. <laughs> yeah, because you don't make any money off of it. That's right. Right, right. You don't make any money off of it. And so the taxpayers will be on the hook uh, for those subsidies. That's us paying them, uh, paying for the wind. And then you're if the project um, does not produce what it needs to produce, the, there's going to be just a loss. They'll, they'll recoup the cost and increase in rates, ex, you know, et cetera. How? So we, we, we want to bring awareness to that, that, that there's a big risk to this, and there needs to be more thoughtful contemplation on Arkansas's role before we go ahead and just, just approve it. Now, somebody stands to make a lot of money here. They're, they're, 
that's always you always got to follow the money ryan if i'm not mistaken i was taught that by my daddy and it's it's pretty much took me well into my job that i do now somebody stands to make a lot of money and probably their their ability to lose money is not as big as everybody else's am i correct well, that's, it, it, this is an interesting situation because the part of what we believe to be the genesis of this is actually starts in New York with the New York State Pension Fund. And the New York State Pension Fund is uh, overseen by a Mr. Dinopoli who has filed more than 120 climate change-related shareholder resolutions against companies saying if you do not abide by the Paris Climate Accord uh, targets for reducing uh, greenhouse gases, which America has been pulled out of thanks to uh, President Trump, uh, then we will with, we will withdraw our shares of the company that our pensions have an interest of in you know in your company. And in this instance, it's about a hundred million dollars worth of shares that uh, Dinopoli's saying he would remove from American Electric Power uh, Company. And so that's kind of gotten them, they don't want to lose that money. And so they're trying to appease uh, the, sh- the shareholders of the, the New York State Pension Fund by finding cheap land in Oklahoma, building these windmills, going for the subsidies so that they make as much money as possible off of it because the subsidies are where Warren Buffett says the money or act- money is actually to be made and uh, leaving any risks on Oklahomans, Arkansans, and Louisianans. So we get $100 million worth of electricity with a billion-dollar investment, maybe? And, and, the, and the federal uh, government makes up the difference? There, the, the is it something like project, that? Yeah, the cost of the project is uh, estimated to be about $4.5 billion. And um, at least around $800 million is, when, is the number I heard is the subsidy. So basically a million dollars per windmill that they're looking to build taxpayers that's taxpayers money so the taxpayers get to help build it the company gets the carbon credits to sell so Mm -hmm. the the federal government is incentivizing the the private business to to build it the taxpayers gets to make it profitable because it's non-profitable so then the consumers Mm -hmm get to pay for it if it wins or loses the consumers are going to end up paying the cost and if it goes bad it comes back to the the consumers again but it starts out with a bad incentive to start with from the federal government so either way the taxpayers get bill that's exactly right well it's always somebody else pays yeah, you get it as ratepayers, and then you get it as uh, taxpayers. You know, you're subsidizing as taxpayers. So, yeah, I mean, two ways. So it's a hedging of the bet in a way. What gets um, what gets my on me is this is the left working together to use our systems against those of us who don't want these policies implemented. And there's really no way around it. If SWEPCO's project is approved, we're going to end up paying to implement the left's climate change policies the science the, the science this convoluted system policies. that somebody in new how, york how about, came up with how about this commission ryan tell us about this commission in the state of arkansas we love commissions so <laughs> won't you tell us about this non-elected commission that makes a decision about our tax rates and, and electric rates well it's the arkansas public service commission and it's headed up by uh, three individuals um they will have an approval um 
that or denial and they have a decision hasn't been made yet the public comment period i believe is still going on uh has been going on for a little while uh you can see the first public testimony from swebco's representative in i believe it's uh dated for july of 2017 and uh there's 400 and 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 some individuals who have made their made public comment about you know pros and cons uh, Americans for Prosperity has been working to get the word out on this project because we do not believe it to be uh, in the interest of the everyday Arkansan. And therefore, uh, from the public's uh, comment, there have been several that have come as a result, uh, come through there as a result of our education on this issue. So uh, the word is getting out. And there is time to still have your opinion heard, uh, I believe, to to say, hey, you know, is this really in the interest of Arkansans or is this in the interest of some kind of special interest such as uh, the energy companies, the New York State uh, pension, which seems to be the genesis of this entire thing, and, you know, some of the others who believe they want to have uh, green energy, so they're going to, uh, for, you know, force it on everybody else, even when it doesn't necessarily make sense. Um the, the policy is just interesting to me that it's pitched as being completely in the interest of Arkansans. But how many folks go and say, I mean, think this through with me. How many say that these groups sit together and go, you know what, we really need to come up and do something really nice for Arkansas, you know, in Oklahoma <laughs> and Louisiana. That's really what drives us. No, they have shareholders. They have boards. And the shareholders are driving this either on a profitability standpoint through the tax subsidies or in not losing their shares uh, or having their shares sold through the New York, uh, through the interest of the New York State Pension Fund. So you have a little bit of incentive going on here by the federal government to incentivize uh, private businesses to do things unprofitable. And then you have a little right. bit of blackmail going on also. <laughs> it, it, and, and, and that's a way of characterizing it, R.D., is that, you know, if you don't do what we what we want to have done, then we'll pull it out. I mean, it's their right to, to do this. However, uh, you know, they're not building these in in New York State. You know, they're building them down here in uh, in in the you know southwest and or Midwest, and putting it on the the taxpayer or on the the burden of the risk is now on us uh, down here as ratepayers because if it doesn't if it doesn't work out, they're not going to just keep the rates the way that they are. They're going to attempt to recoup those costs. Obviously, and uh, so and it's just interesting to me that you know each one of these when they talk about green energy, uh, each one of these windmills they're, they're talking about building 800 windmills. And each one of these windmills has to be offset by a natural gas uh, power plant because the wind doesn't blow all the time. And you have to have something that can come online quickly. Natural gas is, is the solution. And in New York, they banned uh, natural gas uh, or banned fracking and have decreased their production of natural gas by 50 percent in New York, even though they're sitting on, uh, you know, a, a pretty good reservoir of it. All right. We'll keep up with you about this. Uh, we want to keep pressing this because uh, the people who are listening can have a, a direct voice on this by sending a, a, a letter to this commission, correct? Yes, yes. And you can do it uh, online. Go to the Public Service Commission website. Uh, I don't have the docket number in front of me at the moment, but I can get that to you. But uh, it, 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 it's, uh, I think, 
UR-17-038. Yeah, 38, I think, maybe the last. The, and it's pretty easy to leave a public comment. And just, you know, at least let your your uh, this commission know your feelings on it and uh, and make them convince us that it's the right option for our Kansas. Yeah. Uh, don't just don't just let it let it glide. Last last statement for me. Don't forget, though, uh, one of the people who are the head of this commission said that public comments carried the less weight of everybody who was com- uh, commenting on this. Was that Ted Thomas? Yes. Hmm. Do you, you remember I that? Remember, you remember I remember that, that comment. I yeah. remember that. We're, we're at the bar. Hey, it's just like just like at the Capitol. You know, is there, should you be letting your elected officials know about this as well, or is this outside their hands? No. Well, the, the, the commission does serve at, you know, is appointed. All right. So maybe maybe aiming a little higher uh, with our, you know, with our questions and with our comments may be warranted if that's the feeling of the person who's supposed to be acting in our best interest. I got you. All right, thanks a lot. We appreciate you, Ryan. We'll keep uh, right, keep us appraised y'all. of this, all right? All right, appreciate you. Talk Take to you later now. All right, keep that in mind. That's Ryan Norris from uh, Americans for Prosperity. It's a story, seriously, we've been talking about it more than anybody else has. And we've been trying to nudge you to do something. Now's the time. Start doing something. That's interesting. I wonder, wonder whether he was saying that it's going to be 800 windmills and they're about a million dollars a piece. But he said the whole project. That's the subsidies. Is that what the subsidies were? It's a million dollars in yeah. windmill taxpayer oh, subsidy. Oh, that's a subsidy alone. Yeah, yeah, but, it was, but, it's a, but he was saying it's like a, it's a five, over $5 billion, billion project. project. Wow. But they're, they're, the government's actually in. How do you spend a million dollars? The taxpayers on a, are getting off cheap on this one. Yeah. All right, but the rate but the ratepayers are going to make up for it. So nearly a billion dollars. Okay, ten minutes uh, until five. We got to get our last break in. Let's do that. Bible guys are on the other side of the news. We'll come and finish up in just a moment here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back for the last uh, few moments here on the uh, four o'clock hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. Bible guys coming up in a moment. Uh, I thought this was an interesting story. It's a sad story, but an interesting story. 65% of the 8th graders in American public schools in 2017 were not proficient in reading. 67% were not proficient in math. That according to the National Assessment of Educational Progress test results, released by the U.S. Department of Education. Why do we even have a U.S. Department of Education when almost three-quarters of our kids can't read at an eighth-grade level or are not proficient uh, in uh, in mathematics? Because the results are even worse for students enrolled in some urban districts. But, you know, at least they're all the same, Dave. I think if they're all on the same level, at least they're being fair. <laughs> now, let me well, wait, listen. They all know the leftist talking point. Listen, listen how sad this is, though. This gets really sad. Only 5%, 5% of Detroit public school eighth graders were proficient or better in math 
and only 7% were proficient or better in reading. In Cleveland, it wasn't much better. Only 11% were proficient or better in math, 10% in reading. In Baltimore, 11% in math, 13% in reading. In the the Fresno Public Schools District, only 11% were proficient or better in math, and only 14% were proficient or better in reading. So so what what do these different cities have in common? Welfare. They're run by, by the, the federal government. They're run by, well, the, they're run by the left, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. is, aren't they? They're, they're, it's clear they're not teaching them in school to read, write, and do math. Right. They haven't passed left enough taxes. Policy. If they would pass about oh, three or four mills, right. they need they'd have money. the that, that's, money to educate these that, kids. Right. It's the mean, sorry, Republicans that are stopping them from that's, doing it. But, now but, you're on the program. But, but, but <laughs> if, if we stop, take a step back and look at these cities, aren't they run by Democrats? Sure. In Louisiana, the state the state of Louisiana, only 19% of the 8th graders were proficient or better in math, and only 25% were proficient or better in reading. In New Mexico, Mexico pardon me, I got the hiccups, 24% proficient or better in reading, 20% in math. Let's just, I'm, I'm just going to go That's down. That's a 100% increase over those other cities. <laughs> no, I want you here. Arkansas, <laughs> Arkansas was 44. Hey. All right. Uh, it was 26% of our kids uh, were proficient in mathematics. When it came to reading, Arkansas was 41. All Gosh, right. that's a lot nothing, better. Nothing to to, that's nothing to, to brag, brag about. about. I'm just saying. That's what I was thinking. And, I mean, in reading... Twenty nine percent. Not. I mean, we're looking at it. Not even one out of four are proficient in math or reading, and we're start. We're trying to say that our schools are doing their jobs. Hell no, they are. So let's just give them more money. We need another two mills over yeah. there in uh, Cabot because. The building we'll needs get, to be improved because yeah, maybe these, we'll because get, these, maybe we'll be thirty percent. They need fancier <laughs> buildings so the so the children can learn better. I tell you what, you can solve the the state budget problem and solve the school problem at one time. Just send everybody home at the Arkansas Department of Education, <laughs> close the building, put locks on the doors, and put the education system back in the hands of the school board and the teachers and the parents. Let parents raise their own kids know about, for crying out loud. About half the teachers. I'd be afraid to put it in their hands that they've already got control. <laughs> well, that'd be the parents' job and the school board's job to do that. But they're in, incentivized to let the federal and state government control the school system. Maybe right we now. could go a long, go a long ways toward helping this situation. We cut the money in half tomorrow. Then they might learn to live within their means. That's a, that's a good educational thing to do for these people right off the bat. And I think we're out of time. Yeah, we're out of time. And... Uh, no more rabbit holes for you. <laughs> this, this is really disgusting. It is. I mean, that's disgusting. Reading is fundamental. In De- it's true. Yeah, in, in Detroit, 5%? No wonder well, we're it was, I bet trouble. it was better yeah. in 1965 than it is now. I, I bet those no numbers idea. were better than, I bet than they, they were. are now. I bet they were. No idea. All I know is 5%. <laughs> and not above 17% in any of the major it's cities. It's criminal, actually. It is. It is With all criminal. the money they're getting, you got that right. All right. 
Got to get out of here. Elizabeth, R.D., and Paul, yes, thank sir. you. Thank My you. Pleasure. Bible guys are next. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. Bible guys are here in the uh, studio. Of course, I'm looking across at Scott Stewart. He's here already. Steve is supposed to be here. I'm sure that he'll be joining us here in a few moments in the studio as well. Uh, Scott is the pastor at Agape Church, 701 Napa Valley Drive in Little Rock. Sunday service time is at 10 a.m. Their website, and you'll want to know this because we're going to be talking about some of the educational opportunities over at Agape Church as well, aclr.org. Again, ACLR, Agape Church, Little Rock, aclr.org. And don't forget about uh, Dr. Scott's uh, Twitter account. It's at Dr. Dr. There is no period after doctor, so it's Dr. Scott with two T's, Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T. So you can send him a direct uh, tweet uh, if you'd like to and ask him more questions, and he'll get you information about whatever it is that you're asking about. With that in mind... Let me turn it over to Dr. Scott, and he can introduce uh, a guest that we have today here in the studio. All right. Thank you, Dave. Um, yes, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, as you know, normally we are, uh, we're taking uh, your questions, which, of course, we're still open to, uh, to do. Uh, however, I wanted to bring with me the, uh, the principal of our academy, our Christian academy that we have at, uh, at the church. His name is uh, David Scott. Uh, David was a, a member of our church in Scotland for um, how long were you a member of the church there? Ten years. About ten years. And uh, David was the headmaster for two uh, primary schools in Scotland. And when we had our, when we were reworking our school here, I knew he was the guy that I wanted to uh, have as our headmaster or our principal here by the leading of the Holy Ghost. And uh, through lots of hoops and working with. Um, our immigration department, we finally were able to get him here. So uh, we're very blessed to have David here to talk to us about um, quality Christian education and what that means to the transformation of the lives of our kids. Okay, so I'm really excited because the last story that we did today on my show mm-hmm. in the last three hours uh, was talking about, uh, you know, how good are our kids doing in school? Yeah. You know, in our public school. So system. that was your last your last topic before. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. great, so great that segue. Moves right, right, yeah. right into what we're doing right now. Uh, this story that was put together using uh, numbers from the National Assessment of Educational Progress test results that are released by the U.S. Department of Education mm-hmm. said this, and this is just an overview to start us off. of the 8th graders in American public schools in 2017 were not proficient in reading. 67% were not proficient in math. I want you to think about that. How many billions of dollars Mm. does this country spend on public education Mm -hmm. and... 20 was it 23 percent only 20 23 percent are proficient in, 30, in reading 35 is it 35 is that what it was i think something like that okay but i mean one it was 67 percent 67 from uh for math and it was uh 65 uh, percent yeah uh of the american public schools were not right not were but mm-hmm. were not 
there's a whole lot more mm-hmm. that are not proficient mm-hmm. than are proficient. Yeah. And you know, we can talk about this for some time. I've got some people that are calling in and have other questions. Mm-hmm. But I think there's like three or four things we can definitely look at. Oh, for sure. One, the, 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 the disintegration of the, uh, you know, mom and dad and, and kids. Right. You know, the atomic family. Yeah. It, it doesn't exist any longer. Mm-hmm. Any longer, it is. It's in the huge minority now. Mm-hmm. Nothing against. Look, I'm not being against single parenthood. Sure, it's but a reality. It's not the best. Mm-hmm. The best is mom and dad yeah. and the kids. Mm-hmm. Whether we like to I, look, I was a single parent for a while, so mm-hmm. the, I understand things happen. I understand that, but the destruction of the American family. I think has had more effect on all of this than anything else. And then on top of that, the destruction of the American family attending church. Sure, sure. Yeah. And that's why we, we like the parochial idea of having school and church together because it, it carries on. Well, in the beginning, the American school was inside the church it building. Was the pastor the church. was the main teacher. The Bible was the main textbook. I mean, that is the root of our education experience and david as a believer finally is expressing that even though he wasn't able to do that necessarily in scotland but he certainly is here yeah i have three children at the school they took the journey across that's cool from scotland yeah and they love it the the liberty uh to express their faith uh you know and it's it's a great school agape academy it's a great place to be a great team and you know i'm listening to your results there in terms of attainment and reading and mathematics and you know it's a challenge you know, we believe that we need to work with parents. That partnership is a biblical mandate to mm. teach your children. Mm-hmm. And so parental partnerships are really an important focus for us. Uh, the children come to school. We take on that mantle of supporting them in their education. But, you know, we really need the support of the, the mum and dad at home to, yeah. to help that. I think right. children only spend 15% of their waking hours in school. So there's so much more it's time out, out with school. Yeah. All right. Let's go and take a call. Okay, sure. All right. Uh, PJ is here in Little Rock. Hi, PJ. How are you? Hey, hey, guys. Hey, I have a couple questions here tonight. Uh, uh, Number one, uh, I think it was last week that you guys were saying that Jesus did not come to start a new religion. And if that's so, what is Christianity if not a new religion? Mm -hmm. And then uh, my second question deals more with the, the academy. But I wanted to, to ask if the academy teaches theology to the children, or is it just academics? I appreciate uh, your time, and I'll step off and listen. All right. That will happen. We'll answer both of those uh, questions for you. You'll have okay. to drop him there. Uh, yeah, I'll, there I'll take go. the Thanks. first part, and I'll let you know the second part. Um, uh, when it comes to the, uh, the idea of um, uh, what we said last week about Jesus did not come to start a new religion, uh, it's true. Uh, he did not come to start a new uh, a new religion. Christianity is, in fact, um, merely an extension. It's almost like uh, if you um, if you look at uh, Christianity today as we know it, we have Baptists and Methodists and Catholics and Presbyterians. These are not different religions. They are merely um, divisions within one religion. In other words, Baptists and Methodists would still be considered a Christian, even though they're different groupings within Christianity. Christianity was originally a part of or a, a segment of Judaism. 
So when Messiah came, he did not come to say, hey, let's start a new religion. He came uh, expressing the fullness of what it meant to be Messiah and the idea of drawing all people into the, uh, the, the, uh, the Messianic faith. Um, Christianity was not even mentioned uh, until 300 years after with, with, with Constantine. People were called Christians, first of all, in Antioch, as the Scripture says, but they were only called Christians because the gospel left Israel. Um, when even to this day in Israel, Christians are not called Christians. They're called Notzrim. Well, if you take the word Notzrim and you translate it into Greek, you're going to come up with the word uh, Christian or the equivalent of that. So they were first called Christians at Antioch because that was the first time the gospel left the nation of Israel. So um, really, Christianity was part and parcel of the Judaic faith. And um, so it was never meant to be another religion. Yeah, and that's why... Up until just about the last 20 years, we always talked about Judeo-Christianity. We didn't talk Christianity, Mm. but Judeo-Christianity. That's correct, yeah. And that's what we're working now at our church to to restore, even at the Institute that we're starting to bring a restoration of the Judaic side of the Christian faith, because really Christianity is a a part of uh, Judaism. And so as far as the academy goes... Yeah, I mean, the school would, uh, would echo... Some of what Pastor Scott has said, we, we have a Hebraic foundation to our curriculum. We study the, the feasts. We have a, a weekly Moed or appointed time or assembly. Um, we use the Abeka curriculum, which is firmly based from a biblical perspective. Uh, we have daily daily Bible lessons. Uh, and we and the kids even learn a, a Hebrew word a week. So our kids are learning Hebrew in the, uh, in the academy yeah. as well. Hebrew, yeah, Hebrew phrases, Hebrew, Hebrew alphabet. All linked to the, the the festivals and feasts. But the bottom line is everything that we know or study to know mm-hmm. is based in our God. Absolutely. Why would we not learn it through theology? That's correct. That's correct. And you can study math through theology. You can you can study everything through a theological lens. And the fact of the matter is, we used to do that. I mean, let's not forget Scotland was the huge uh, spiritual stick in the, you know, back, uh, you know, back in the 18, 1700s. I mean, you know, we have our King James Bible was given to us through the, the, the Stuart Kings, the, the Stuart, the, the Scottish Kings through, uh, we have a Eric Little and we have David Livingston and we, uh, we can go down a list of all these great people, John Knox. I mean, this, these were powerhouse people that were, that brought the gospel to bear and it was in every aspect of the, secular and sacred um, society, um, culture. And the same thing used to be here. And the progressives have so slowly you know, brought separation to those things through erroneous uh, teaching. But the, our academy seeks to, to, to marry those two back together in the way that it was in the beginning. And Dave is doing a great job seeing to it that that actually happens. And I would encourage any parents that are listening out there, if you, if you believe that your children have been robbed of a spiritual heritage in academics, then you know, you want to give our academy a, a chance because um, under the leadership of David Scott, it is, it is reaching new levels and new heights. Amen. All yeah. right. Let's go talk to Donna. Uh, Donna joins us from Little Rock. Hi, Donna. How are you? Got a question for the guys? Donna? Are you... Okay, go Can ahead. Can you hear me? Yeah, I okay. hear you now. Go ahead. Um, Catholics, are they considered Christians? And the other <laughs> thing I have a question about is, do they go to heaven since they ask priests to be forgiven instead of Jesus? And it seems like they worship Mary instead mm. of Jesus. Am I off track here? seems like if you're not asking God or Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you're going to a priest instead, are you really forgiven? Therefore, are you saved? 
Right. Uh, that's a good question, Donna. Uh, and um, I would say um, yes and no, um, simply because that I know a lot of Catholics that are uh, sincere in their faith, and they do and they do believe. And this is obviously something that God is going to have to judge each person's heart, because as we know, yeah. the Bible tells us that if we believe. If for God so loved the world, they gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So faith comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. And there are some who are sincere in their faith. However, there are others who are who are very um, who are very confused. Yes, they are. Yeah. And when you if you spend your life praying to a statue or if you spend your 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 life praying to Mary as uh, there's a doctrine mm-hmm. being put forward by the Catholic Church now called uh, co-redemptrix, which means that Mary actually holds a co-redeemer position with Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. You get off into you get off into heresy there. Uh, there, are, yeah. I mean, there are people who actually believe that Mary was immaculately conceived as well as Jesus was, uh, and uh, and if you do go through a priest to receive obsol- um, um, to receive. Um, I'm drawing a blank here to have your your sins um, absolved uh, as yeah. as opposed to going to the Lord, then your your sins are not going to be absolved. So uh, yeah. there there is a lot of muddy water here, but I do yeah, think there exactly. are a lot of sincere people that are born again in every uh, denomination that's out there. Uh, but but there are some that will will not make it because their faith is distracted by other things, and that is a very sad. Uh, sad state for them. And there are people who will be held accountable yeah. for that. Unfortunately, those who are pushing these type of teachings will be held accountable for their deception of the of those who are yeah. following them. Well, thank you so much for answering that. And can I give a shout out to Richard? He always says, I hear you on the radio every evening. <laughs> okay. who's, Richard, who's, who's Richard? <laughs> who's Richard? He's the guy I work with. Oh, right. There he goes. All right. <laughs> well, I heard you on the radio the other day. Oh, okay, right. right. Well, tell guys. Richard to call us sometime. We'd yeah, love to. I mean, maybe, he, yeah. maybe he can tell us something yeah, about Donna. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can tell <laughs> stories things, about you. That'd be all right. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thank you, Don. We appreciate Thanks, your guys. call. Thank you. All right. Let's go to Lynette. And Lynette, how are you? Welcome uh, to the Bible Guys today. I'm doing well. Thank you. I have two questions. And my first one is for Dr. Stewart. And my second one is for Mr. Scott. Uh, my first question for Dr. Stewart. You mentioned during the Passover week something about second Passover. Mm. Can you comment on what that is? And then also to Mr. Scott, does the academy teach on, teach the children about the feasts as well? And I'm just going to hang up and listen to the discussion. All right, Lynette. We appreciate your call. Thank you. Uh, yes, we mentioned something called uh, Second Passover. Um, and um, the um, there is a story in the in the scriptures where when God instituted Passover, um, there was a group of people who came to Moses, a group of men who came to Moses um, and said, um, we can't keep Passover because we're unclean. Uh, they had actually uh, buried, I believe they had buried someone, they had touched a dead body, and and, this, and there was a prohibition about celebrating Passover if you had been contaminated or you were unclean. And um, and so they went to Moses and they said, should we be, um, should we be penalized and un, not allowed to celebrate Passover because we were doing our duty in actually taking care of, of the dead? And so Moses said, let me go talk to the Lord about this, which he did. And when he came back, he told them what the Lord said. And the Lord said, if someone is unclean or if they're on a far journey and they can't make it back in time for Passover, the Lord said that they are allowed to celebrate Passover one month from the Passover date. So the 14th day of Nisan, they were allowed to celebrate that one month uh, from that. I think it's it's actually was the 27th of April 
this year. So it was um, uh, almost a, it was a month apart from the the two dates. So, and you know what you can see there? You can see that being the grace of God. Uh, in that situation where God allows you to celebrate the feast later if you cannot uh, meet it. Some people have the idea that the law is so hard and strict that if you do one tiny little thing wrong, God's going to hit you with a hammer. And here we have God saying, hey, if you can't do it the first time, here's your second chance. You can go for it this way. And that's called second Passover. All right. So, I mean, Scott, your question was, do you teach the feast? Yeah, yeah without a doubt. The, the feast form part of our curriculum. So each class... Uh, would do a lesson with the children on the feast. We I mentioned our weekly moed, and there we would have a, a, a collective time where we'd teach the children. And um, we'd also put a, a unique perspective on it too. For example, I think was it Yom Teruah with the with the trumpets. Yes, feast of we, trumpets. Yeah, the feast of trumpets. Yeah, where um, and it's a call to repentance, isn't mm-hmm. it? So Agape is Agape Church is set on a on a high point in Little Rock. So we. Every child got a, a trumpet. We marched up the hill and we blew the call to repentance <laughs> Very cool. across the city. So yeah, we 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 take the elements of the feasts. Uh, we teach them to the children. We pull out the you know the perspectives uh, that they, they they need to take away, but also we bring it down to their level too. Okay, yeah. Now I got we got to move the break, but let me just ask this question. You can answer it when we come back. How much of a learning process or teaching process is it? with the parents as well all right let's talk about that when we come back so of course dave ellswick show bible guys here steve is not here we're kind of surprised he's not here he should be making his way he might get caught in some traffic but scott and scott david scott yeah david scott and scott stewart are here i could call him scott and scott though (laughs) sounds kind of cool we'll take a break come back with more zach let's take a break All right, back with you. Uh, Dr. Stewart is here. Uh, with him is the gentleman who is the head of the academy over at Agape Church. And that's uh, what grades is that exactly? We have classes from K3 up to seventh grade. Okay, do seventh grade. So, with that in mind, my question was do you find that you have to educate the parents as well as the children? My experience has been that the parents are really keen to learn uh, what the children have been doing in school. So, you know, for example, whenever we have any Hebrew that, that the children have been learning each week, it be a Hebrew phrase. Uh, for example, you know, Hoduli, Abikitov, Kili Olam, Chasto was a great one. You know, God is good, His mercy endures forever. You Easy know. for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But the parents are really keen for that to be sent home because the children are going home, they're talking about the feast, they're talking about the Hebrew they've learned. And, you know, we've mentioned already parents as partners and their children's learning. They, w- they want to be a part of that. So, yeah, there's a really positive uh, expectation from the parents that they want to partner with us as we go down this road. All right. Got about 60 seconds. And, Scott, how many of the people who whose children attend the academy are members over at Agape? If I'm not mistaken, we have, is, it about, is, it, um, is it about two-thirds of them, something like that? Yeah. yeah, about two thirds, and that is when David first came there. It was it was down more or less like about ten percent, if that. And it has just it has just uh, has arisen. I mean, it's been amazing. The kids come to the academy, and they have been so affected, and they go home, and it affects the uh, affects the parents as well. But our school is open to anyone who who believes in a good quality education, reading, writing, arithmetic, mm. but laced with the Word of God as their foundation and a Hebraic approach to a Jewish Messiah. Uh, that's the way we teach things around there. All right. We're going to have a, a break for the news. 
Then when we come back, uh, we'll be here for your questions. 8230965, Bible questions, uh, school questions next. All right, back with you. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. Final half hour. Time going fast today. You got a question? 8230965. It can be on anything. You can be a believer and want to deepen your understanding of our uh, our our Christianity, or you can perhaps uh, be a secularist, an atheist, you know, whatever, a, a devil worshiper for all I know, and want to call in and, and ask questions, feel free to do that. I want to give you an opportunity to win a book today. Uh, Dennis Prager, who you hear on uh, 101.1, uh, and about 11 o'clock to 2 o'clock here on station, has written the second uh, uh, book in his commentary that he's putting together uh, called Exodus, God, Slavery, and Freedom. Many of you know Dennis Prager is a Jew, and uh, he writes from a Jewish perspective. And he calls this the rational Bible. And by that, it's not that... Uh, you know it's the truth because it's rational. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that you can believe the Bible because it is rationally true. Mm -hmm. So if you would like a copy of this, I'll be happy to give you a copy right now. Just call uh, 8230965, 8230965, 5th caller, you walk away with the book. So you keep the the count over there, Zach, and uh, do that, 8230965. 0965, and you're going to get the book of Exodus from a totally Jewish mm. perspective. Dennis is great, and, and he, he speaks Hebrew as well, so yeah. he'll have a unique, unique uh, approach to it. And the phones explode. Mm. All right, so we've got uh, JP in uh, Little Rock. JP, how are you? Welcome uh, to the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm doing good. I just got one question. Okay. I just want to know how you, uh, I know you guys talk a lot about the Hebrew roots to the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And with Pentecost coming up next month, I was wondering, wondering or hoping, could you please tell me uh, what counting the Omer means? Okay. Okay. Uh, did you hear the question? Yeah, I did. Yeah, All thank, right. I'm going to let you go, and he's going to answer. You listen in. Here we go. Okay. Uh, his question was, what is the counting of the Omer? Um, and... Um, if you if you know anything about the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost um, uh, is a feast that happens 50 days after Passover. That's why it's called Pentecost. The word penta meaning having the word five in it from uh, the Greek, uh, the Hebrew is Shavuot, uh, and uh, it's 50 days. And the Scripture actually tells us that we are to to count 50 days from um, the feast as a feast of unleavened bread starts. We're to count 50 days uh, from the Sabbath after. Um, Passover, and that will lead us up to uh, the Feast of Pentecost or Shavuot, and um, and this counting of these fifty days is called counting the Omer, and the Omer is a, a, a measure; it's a standard of measure, and you use this. This was like you would measure out uh, wheat or measure out grain. This is the only feast where the Lord actually says, "I want you to count down to the celebration of the feast." All the rest of them, it gives an exact date of when the feast should be celebrated. It'll say, like with Passover, it'll say the 15th day of the month of Nisan, or it says the new the, the new year will be on the first day of Nisan, the 14th day you'll do this. But this is the only one that actually tells you, doesn't give you a date, but it tells you to count uh, down. And so what they would do is 
the um, most of you have probably heard of the, the Feast of First Fruits. What would happen is they would harvest the first fruits um, on the Feast of First Fruits, and then they would measure out a little bit of this um, harvest uh, each day for 50 days as they prepared for the Feast of uh, Pentecost. And the thing that's interesting about that is that everything that happened in the life of Jesus um, uh, from after he was, was raised from the dead happened during the 50 days of the counting of the Omer, which is important because so much does happen there. You think about Moses. Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days, uh, and Jesus when uh, when he was on the earth, after he rose from the dead, he was here for 40 days. And it was all during the time period of the counting of the Omer. There's a lot I could deal with. Actually, it take me about almost an hour. And I'm actually going to be teaching about this on Sunday, as a matter of fact, that we're going to begin a, a Shavuot series, a series on Pentecost starting this coming Sunday. And I'll be talking about the Omer. So 701 Napa Valley Drive mm-hmm. here in Little Rock. That's right. 10 o'clock Sunday morning. You want to know more? Attend the service. Yeah. You'll hear a whole... Uh, Whole sermon on it. I mean, if you if you've never if you don't know anything about the Feast of Pentecost, uh, it's a lot more than just the advent of Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two, it is is obviously huge and important and monumental. But Pentecost had been celebrated for almost three thousand years before Acts chapter two. So uh, um, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to talk about, and we're going to start a three week series uh, this coming Sunday on a march to uh, to Pentecost, uh, which is on the twentieth of May. So it'll be it'll be a great series. I encourage everybody to come out All for right. that. So now you know that as well. Eight two three zero nine six five, eight two three zero nine six five. You got any other question? Uh, call it in now, and uh, Scott's ready for your questions. And we're going to come back and ask some more questions here of uh, David. David, do you just go? You is it David or Dave? David. You're David. Mm-hmm. See, I my mom named me Dave. Oh, your name is Dave. Is Dave. Oh, yeah. really? So I'm just blessed, I guess. <laughs> I'm not blessed. I'm just blessed. But anyway, yeah, it, my mom said that she was naming us boys the way people would talk to us. Oh, so really? she knew they would call me Dave, mm-hmm. not David. And they knew they'd call my brother Don and not Donald. Then you have John Paul. I don't know what you do with that. <laughs> anyway, that's that's what she He had two names. He had two first names. But mom always loved him best. Oh, no, she I'm just didn't. kidding. Sure I'm just I kidding. Have, I have a friend of mine. Um, uh, his name is, is um, Bill. Actually, his name is Billy. And I I have a tendency of calling people by their full name. So, like, if his name is Bill, I call him William. And one day he told me, he said, my name is not William. My mother actually named me Billy. Yeah. Billy. So, Billy is his name. And mm-hmm. I was like, really? He said, yeah. And I, he's a obviously he's a you know seventy something year old man called Billy, which just seems a little bit odd to me. Well, <laughs> but, they, you know that's your giving Christian name. I mean, yeah, you know, sure, you would think William, yeah. you know, proper. Yeah, you know, my mom had nothing proper about that. <laughs> I was Dave. Yeah, all right, that's what I was. You still are. And my dad was Dave. Oh, right. So when people uh, would call us, people would ask for Davy if that they wanted you. me. That was right. me. Can I call you Davey? No. Okay. Well, only my mother and father <laughs> could call me Davey. Do your brothers still call you Davey? Uh, yes, yeah. they do. Okay. Because I'm the youngest in the family. Oh, so. right. Oh, he's but the baby. But they always call, my, my, my oldest brother and I always called Don Donnie. All right, sure. Yeah. That's what he was called at, at the house, yeah. you know. David, David means beloved. Yeah. I'm not no, sure. No, I said blessed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just, maybe I'm just love. Yeah. <laughs> I did grow up in the 60s, you know. Oh. What can I say? <laughs> anyway, uh, if you got a question again, 823 let, let Let's talk about some of the things 
that you won't run into probably at Agape Academy. There's only such a thing as a boy and a girl, right? There's not gender fluidity, I'm assuming, at, at Agape. That's correct. You will find a boy's bathroom and a girl's bathroom, and that will be the extent of it. That The Bible says uh, that uh, in, the, in the New Testament, it actually says that God made them male and female. And that was the end of the story, and so that's what we that's what we hold with, and that's what we believe to be uh, to be true. So we one of the, one of the blessed things about being a, uh, a parochial school is uh, and not receiving any government funding of anything like that. We're able to set what we believe. I love that is, that we can do, and we teach what we believe, and we're not affected by anything. Um, ex, you know, exp- uh, this from the external trying to press on us so we yeah, the secular no yeah that's right so we we teach what the word says and we stand for what the word actually is um is trying to teach us okay if people wanted to know more about the academy david why don't you pitch uh, our there telephone number and uh sure uh, our web address agapeacademy.org you can get us on 501-225-0068 whenever i hear schools on the radio they say the number three times so i'm going to say it three times nice and, and, I'm, and I'm going to suggest something yeah. Say it slower. Okay, <laughs> I'll slow down. Uh, 501-225-0068. And one more time, yeah. 501-225-0068. And we're open for summer school registration and fall registration at the moment. Okay, and uh, do you have just uh, do you have some place they can do it on, on the web if they want to? Yeah, if you go into agapeacademy.org, all the forms are there, all the contact details. Yeah, that's the easiest way then. Yeah, that's the easiest way. And if they want to come by for a tour... David uh, David gives them uh, gives tours, answers any questions anybody might have, um, and the summer school is. Um, I'll tell you what, if you guys are interested in the summer school, you need to get in that because it's really it's really filling up uh, yeah. really quickly, and even the even the fall term, people are registering now for the fall term. So, yeah. I encourage everybody that would like to have a good quality Christian education that's that, that's faith based, it's Bible built. Um, but does not compromise at all on academics, but instead has very high academic expectations, uh, then uh, Agape Academy very well could be the place for you and yeah, your kids. It's, it's typically the academic standards are more strict typically mm-hmm. in a Christian school than in public school. It is true. We have a class ratio of uh, one teacher to nine students on average. Fantastic. So they're getting individual attention. It's a tailored curriculum. With great attainment, and you mentioned reading and uh, mathematics. You know our scores are up in the, the top twenty percent uh, across the nation. So we've got you know great students, great great staff uh, working together, and as as a great team. And we uh, so and we and we emphasize. Um, um, af- we have have after school plans. We have a chess club. What else mm. we got, David? We have soccer club. Mm. Um, we're just starting a financial piece uh, course for our children as well. No, I'm, I'm say, did, you, did you say Ireland or Scotland? That you Scotland. Came? Okay, Scotland. Yeah. To have to not have soccer <laughs> and being from Scotland, I, I would find that really weird, to be honest. Well, we, we do have that, yeah. yeah. Are we st- do we still have the French club? or is uh, French and starting Spanish as well. Right, French and Spanish clubs. Uh, most of our uh, extracurricular things uh, stimulate the mind. They're very um, academic, like we said, with chess, French, Spanish. And I'll tell you what, financial uh, financial piece for the children, teaching your kids at a young age to live a debt-free life. Amen. Uh, we're talking about raising a whole new generation of kids, kids who live debt-free, kids who think Hebraically, kids who appreciate and understand the, the feast of the Lord and the Word of God from a Hebraic perspective, and are smart kids academically. This is a this is a generation that could be raised up that is very different than the one that we that we lived in. All right, so you're going through seventh grade now. You know what my next question is? Mm-hmm. When's high school start? 
That's a great question. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. I well, don't know. are you guys talking about just it? because we know the question doesn't mean we know the answer, <laughs> Dave? <laughs> but of course, we, uh, we 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 think about these things and pray towards these things all the time, and um, that is something that we are that is a real a reality that we have to uh, approach. But um, at the moment, we're not we're not we're not sure how we. How we move forward with that? Yeah, the role is growing all the time. Yeah. So the next step is to uh, develop the middle school mm-hmm. stages. Well, yeah, I mean, if once you fill up all your classes for seventh graders, sooner or later they're going to start asking you. Yep. I don't want to go to any of these other schools right. or even another private school. Mm-hmm. I want to. I'm, I want to stay here. I like what I'm being taught here. Yeah. You see, Agape Academy has been around now for thirty, thirty-two years. And it's existed almost as a, uh, a, a an elementary, not elementary prep, but almost like a, a junior high prep school. Okay. So, so the kids would come in from the kindergarten up through getting the kids ready, prepping them to enter into junior high school. That's kind of been the idea for the uh, the school. But we we think that the the best thing to do is not only to have that, but but to but to move that forward. So we're working with a thirty five or thirty two year history. Of um, of the school being a, a prep school for junior high, and we would really like to carry that on into the future. So, um, but we're praying towards that and believing towards that, and seeing how we can actually build from from that. Of course, we need uh, we have facilities, so it's that's really not the question. Yeah. It's a matter of enrollment uh, mm-hmm. and getting the, getting the students in that would justify um, the teachers and the investment and so forth. Yeah. But we're mm-hmm. building a good, strong foundation, a good, strong base. The strong school is much stronger now that Mr. Scott's come than mm-hmm. it has been uh, before then. And that's across the board. And when people tour, one thing they say consistently is, we never knew you were here. Mm-hmm. So, the secret's out. <laughs> well, I knew, I knew about the elementary school. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I knew about that. Happy started that, didn't you? Yep. Uh, Happy Caldwell, that was, uh, the academy started 32 years ago. And um, and the church at that point was only, I guess, three, three four years. I'm not sure how. I mean, it wasn't very old. What was his vision of it? I mean... Just share a little bit of history with mm-hmm. with Happy because he was a very influential, still is mm-hmm. man of the cloth. Yeah, um, Pastor Happy Caldwell. He he had a vision for a church that would be able to produce life in city, state, nation, and world. It was a worldwide vision, um, and that involved in educating the youngest among us. Uh, and so the academy was built with the principle of building a. Um, a, a, a thor- building an academy on three levels of authority. And the three levels of authority were the Word of God, the parental authority, and the, the authority of the educators. And it was to build children and raise them through understanding what authority was. Remember what Jesus said when he when he spoke to the centurion, and the, and the centurion said, I too am a man under authority. Mm-hmm. And Jesus marveled at his faith. Very few times did Jesus marvel but one thing that he marveled at was people who understood authority and how authority worked. So the school was being built on a, a understanding of authority and an honoring of authority from the from the from the godly to the parental to the civil or the um, or the or the, uh, the educators' authority. And so the school is to be built on uh, on that. And then from that, and I'm a product of that vision to go into all the world. And so I served uh, in missions over half of my uh, half of my life. That's where I met David when I was serving in uh, in Scotland. And then of course the ministry eventually evolved and grew into a. Uh, a, a television network now, and there's three different television stations. Uh, actually, Pastor Caldwell, when he stepped down from the pastorate four and a half years ago and I stepped in, he continued to uh, run uh, the television network, which is what he does right now as a full-time uh, position for himself. 
Yeah, he keeps working. He does. He does. He's in his mid-70s, He's and he keeps on. He's a busy guy. He is, yeah. He really, really is, yeah. and there's no doubt about that. And what you were talking about, about the centurion, that was, what was it, his daughter that was ill? And mm-hmm. he, he's he, he didn't a servant. Ask, yeah, a servant. He yeah. didn't ask Christ to come to his house. He said, you just say it, and it would be done. He said, I'm unworthy that you would come under my roof. Just speak the word. And it'll be done. He said, I have men that are under me. He said, I, too, am a man under authority. I have those that are under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. That one, come, and he comes. Mm-hmm. So you speak the word, and I know it will be done. And Jesus marveled and says, I have not found faith like this. No, not in all of Israel. And he begins to commend the man for his uh, for his understanding of authority and faith and how that actually worked together. So think about this, Dave. If, if our society understood authority and honor, then um, we raised our kids that way. They wouldn't be speaking back to the teachers. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't be smart-mouthing them. They would be honoring their parents. It would be a different world altogether. All right, got to get a break. We'll come back, finish up our discussion. It's gone fast. Get a question, 823-0965. Your last call here on the Dave Ellswick Show with the Bible Guys. All right, back for the last uh, few minutes here at the Bible Guys. It's been good to... uh, Tuesday, because we've had a lot of calls. We got Jr. now here in Little Rock. Hey, Jr., how are you? How are you, sir? I'm doing uh, fantastic. Time. Well, you know, I wanted to uh, piggyback a little bit off what you said about the 67% failure rate in reading and 65% failure rate in math. Yeah. And here's here's what your audience needs to understand: our tax dollars are funding the failure rate. That's correct. Mm-hmm. That's right. So where are the where's the voucher program? Thank you very I much. To, I uh, talked to a sitting senator, and they tell me the last time that Arkansas voted on it, they only lost by two or three votes. Doesn't surprise me. That, that close. But because we're in election year, everybody's afraid to put it back on the table, and they say they might get it back in 2019. But I would empower your audience to say, let's get it on the on the table as soon as we can, mm-hmm. because I don't want my tax dollars to pay for a failing system. There you go. I, uh, so, I, I can't well, agree with you more. So you use your platform, sir. I am pro-Christian education, and I love Agape Academy. <laughs> All right. We appreciate you calling in today here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Yeah, I'm one of those people who believes that the money should follow the child. Wherever sure, they want to go to school yeah. at. Yeah. I mean, if the parent wants to go to a Christian academy, why should we care if it succeeds in teaching the child? Well, the reason why they take the tax money is to put your child through school. That was, And if my child's going this direction through school, then it should follow the child. But they, don't, they want to make sure they get indoctrinated their way. Yeah. That's right. exactly what's going of on. Of course. So if you want to get your child indoctrinated the right way, let me turn you over to David, because David's going to tell you how to set up an appointment to come over and visit the school and how to get more information on the school. Yeah, we'd love to give you a tour. So it's Agape Academy. Agapeacademy.org is our web address. All the forms are online there. Or you can give us a phone, 501-225-0068. We'd be happy to set up a tour, uh, come and show you around our, our classrooms and our learning environment and give you a feel for the place. We have got a, a very special place at Agape Academy, so come and see us. You guys uh, serve lunch there? They do. Go ahead, David. Yeah, hot lunches. Chef Jeff is the man. He'll whip up whatever you want. The children get their hot lunches there too. 
Is that is at lunchtime down there where you guys have your gym? Yes, yeah. it's in the gym. Uh, I've been there before, okay, so I know this. And we have we have a twelve and a half acre uh, campus. We have multiple uh, buildings. We have a, a, a really a first rate uh, gymnasium. Uh, we have a great uh, cafe. Wonderful, uh, wonderful staff. Uh, we are accredited um, school. Uh, your kids couldn't do better than Agape Academy, that is for sure, and they couldn't be led better than by David Scott. Amen. You got David, and then you got, uh, of course, Pastor Scott over here. Well, he's not too bad himself. A he great team. A <laughs> uh, Randy Williamson. We have uh, incredible uh, uh, teachers and, and, and associate pastors who are there to help everybody else. We're out of time. Yep. David, it's great to meet you. Thank you, sir. I think I've seen you t- at time or two, but never met you. Okay. And it's good to meet you. And it's, of course, great to always have Scott Stewart here. Don't forget, church starts at 10 o'clock Sunday, 701 Napa Valley Drive in Little Rock. I'm Dave Ellswick. See you tomorrow, 2 o'clock.